0: Hello, and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, episode 163, The Eyes Have It, our first AMA of 2022. I am Sean, and with me, the Tabletop Bellhop himself, Mo.
1: I am the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, answering your gaming and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better.
0: We record here live Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop. Thanks for joining us, especially those of you here live in our chat room.
1: Now, there's lots going on this week for both Sean and I, uh, but we didn't want to miss another week, so today we decided to go with an AMA where we'll be answering questions live from our chat room. After that, I've got a quick review of a king size majestic wolf puzzle from Unidragon. And finally, I've got quite a few games to talk about in our weekend review, including three games off the pile of shame, including WWE Superstar Showdown, Dune Imperium, and Scorpius Freighter. Welcome to the suggestion box. Here we highlight some of our interactions with you fine
0: folk. First up, a comment on our best mystery games topic. Phil Hatfield writes, I enjoyed Scooby-Doo Escape from the Haunted House. I hope they make more with Mm Scooby-Doo. I would also highly suggest Watson and Holmes. It's an elegant step forward from the 221B Baker Street. And I've heard some say it's like a shortened, more focused Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective Agency. Uh, it is all mystery and quite deductive in nature and offers multiple scenarios. Additionally, there is a new version of Watson and Holmes in the works coming this year, in fact.
1: Now, that's not the first recommendation we've gotten for Watson and Holmes from that show. Uh, actually, Jeff, who's in the chat, was another one who brought that one up. It does sound like this definitely deserved a spot on the list, even though I didn't see it on too many top lists. But at least we know there are fans of the B-O-P who are fans of that game. Indeed.
0: Now, next up, a comment from one of our Bellhop's tabletop segments when Mo was sharing his thoughts on the Heroquest, quest, re, HeroQuest reprint. Patrick writes rulebook typos, not being able to fit the expansion in base box, bad insert, soft plastic. Ugh, you pretty much validated my reasoning for not backing HeroQuest. I'll wait for a blowout sale or a 2.0 version.
1: Yeah, I can totally see you waiting for a sale on this one. Um, actually it was on sale yesterday as part of the Amazon buy two, get one free max and match sale. Though I think Patrick's probably hoping for a better deal than buy two, get one free. Um, as for a 2.0, I, I don't expect that. Like how long did it take to even get a reprint? And the fact it's in the hands of Hasbro and Hasbro Pulps, I don't think we can expect that. An improved hero quest anytime soon. Now, what I'm actually hoping for myself is more expansion content, because there was stuff that I was never able to get back in the days that was out there. The two expansions Games Workshop put out, the the Elf and the Barbarian Quest pack. I would love to get copies of those. And then there was like an Ogre pack that was only out in the EU. I would love to see that stuff come out, as well as the stuff that Games Workshop was working on that didn't come out. I would love to see that. That's what I'd like to see from Pulse, is more expansion content. And then maybe, just maybe, some new content. Like, give us something brand new for Hero Quest. I would love to see that. That'd be a shock, but maybe.
0: Uh, Also, Jeff in the chat room points out that the new Watson and Holmes is not a reprint, it's actually a sequel.
1: Okay. So,
0: even more exciting. I
1: hope standalone, not just an expansion.
0: Now, next, Brock Wager Wager, uh, commented on our most recent article about getting games to the table right away to say, this article is great. Would have been nice to have read something like it, oh, say three or four years ago before we started the tradition of cracking open a new game and learning it at the club that night.
1: Well, thanks, Brock. And well, hopefully this can help you going forward.
0: Well, Brock also commented on our topic from last episode, where we talked about our good price to bad game ratio, as did many other people. Here's some of those comments, starting with Brock's. Depends if bad means that I didn't like it, but it's $5 on sale, or if bad means that reviews aren't stellar or it hasn't won the approval of the BGG hive mind. In the latter case, it all depends on if it looks interesting or not. I did buy Seafall for $30 just to check it out. Uh, If it's 15 to 20 at winners or a garage sale, I'll take a chance on almost anything. I convinced my wife to buy me the Titanic board game for Christmas, it was $15 because I like the designer and it was actually a pretty decent game. Nothing special, but solid, unlike the boat. <laughs> now, Board Game Bollocks writes Gen 7 is £9.99 and I'm still not interested. If they were giving it away, I still probably wouldn't take it, as space in my games room is more expensive than that. Fair. Now, Dexter M. Vorse says if it's not going to get played, then not even free. Is going to make me take it home. Chris Groff writes, Even for free, I wouldn't pick up a game I'm not interested in. And Jay Behrens writes, Since I'm trying to thin out my collection, even if it was free, I wouldn't want it. A lot of people with uh, some pretty (laughs) full game rooms, it sounds like. Now, Ian Borchardt writes, I'm afraid fire sales are my weakness, as I tend to go look for something to buy, even if it ends up being incredibly Mm -hmm. terrible. Sometimes I'm lucky and an unknown game is reasonable, sometimes. I don't really research games before I buy all that much in the normal course. If it sounds potentially interesting, I'll buy it. And I buy a lot of games on Kickstarter where it is generally the hopes and dreams of the designer that sell me and where the final result is unknown at times. And finally, The Cult of Pop says, available space in my apartment influences whether I'll buy worse games or not.
1: Well, thanks everyone for the great feedback and interaction on this topic. That was actually only a small sampling of some of the stuff we did receive on this one. I gotta say, I'm surprised by the number of people saying no way, even if it's free. Like, there's no low price, even free, that would get me to take a game I'm not already interested in. Though I am also glad that there are some people out there that succumb to the good deal, and it's worked out well for them sometime. Well, that's it for this
0: week's comments. Send your feedback to mo at tabletopbellhop.com or hit us up on social media. We're here to answer your game, game, or game
1: night questions. So most weeks, we pick a question that someone sent to us by emailing questions at tabletopbellhop.com or filling out the form on our website, which you can find by clicking on Ask the Bellhop at the top of the page. This week, though, both Sean and I have a lot going on and didn't really have the time to do the research and pre-planning that's required for a full topic discussion. So we're taking the easy way out and hosting an AMA. Between health
0: matters, sales, and other jobs, it's been a rough start to the year, even two months in. So, a nice chat with our guests and a free-form discussion is
1: always good. And in a way, I'm glad because I was thinking we haven't done one of these in quite a few months, and I know some people really do enjoy this format, and I know I do, and not just because it's less work after the fact, but also I love being able to interact with our chat room live.
0: Indeed, we always seem to get some questions which make us work for it and really think like that what board game would you be question from
1: a year or so ago oh, someone's gonna ask us to re-for- re revisit that one and see if it's changed now as for this ama we are going to be taking questions from our chat room here on twitch uh, twitch.tv slash tabletop belha for those of you listening or watching um for the you folk in the library li- library wow i'm uh, doing great <laughs> for you folk in the lobby feel free to ask anything you want gaming related or not
0: well, to give people the chance to get some questions in, we've got one saved from the feedback session, section okay. from Bob Lai about the topic of how low a price has to be before we take a chance on a game. Bob asks, tangentially related, have you ever bought a game on the bubble and been genuinely, genuinely surprised by the product, its overall gameplay, or concept?
1: All right, I should have done some research going through my board game geek list, but I didn't, because uh, <laughs> I knew this squad was coming up, but I still didn't prep for it, which is just silly on me. Um, One of the things, we are talking about this now to give people in the chat time to get your questions in, so please send in those questions. All right, so back in the day, um, Boxing Day at Huguen and Munin, they had a bunch of fantasy flight. Silverline games on sale, and they were 10 bucks And at the time, I had money from Christmas, and I probably had a gift certificate at that time. And I bought all of them. I literally bought every single one. And then there was a whole bunch from uh, Geochicks, which I'm not sure if that's how it's pronounced, but it's like or something, de. and I bought a bunch of those. Out of those games, most were flops. There There weren't a lot of great ones, but then there were some awesome ones, like Citadels. Which, yes, I know I complain about how I don't like social deduction, and I'll admit, Citadels has dropped for me, but I had no clue I was getting such a great, um, I don't even know how to describe that game. You're like city building while backstabbing each other and trying to collect tokens. It's like a race to victory points, but there's some social deduction because you're going to put your warrior down hoping no one else played an assassin to kill him. So it's not like the straight up bluffing where someone's taking on a role. It's more of a like, like poker-like bluffing. So that was one. Um, another one was there was a warehouse st- sale here, like at one of those shops that suddenly opens up and has tons of stuff that they obviously got off a boat somewhere and are just selling it all off. One of those huge places. And they had a whole bunch of Z-Man games and other games for five bucks each and like seven for 30 or something stupid like that. And out of that, we got a ton of great games. Um, Some of the best ones were the Zavindar games. So there was Mines of Zavendwar and some Dwarves of Zavindar, I think is the other name. I'm not sure if Deanna is listening or doing something else. She might be able to remember some of these. But those ended up being really good. I still have one of them. And another one we actually keep for our white elephants every year because someone has to put it in the white elephant every year. And I was the one that got it last year, so I had to put it back in because it's just kind of a running joke. Um, I got Stephen Feld's The Speaker Stat that way. There was a Great Wall of China game, which I think was just called Great Wall. It's not the new one that everyone's going nuts over. But there was uh, going yeah Going Cuckoo over. That's probably still not a, I'm failing at my non ableist words. Sorry. Going bonkers over. There we go. Failed there. Um, which had little plastic walls you put on that were color coded and it was an action selection game where everyone had these things you put down. Oh, I was Gnomes of Zavindar. There you go. I was thinking dwarves. Gnomes of Zavindar. Thank you, Jeff. Um, and like that was actually really good. Um, De Vulgaria Eloquentia cost me $3. And this is a heavy euro where you're developing the English language. And it's a cube pusher where you're two in action selection. So I have definitely gotten lucky. That said, there's more bombs than there were good. Like out of those, uh, Rails of New England. That was another one from Z-Man that I got. And Last Train to Nuremberg. All like actually really solid train games. But then for every one of those, there's a Senator, which is one of the worst games I've ever played. Fantasy Flight, excuse me. Fantasy Flight put out this game called Senator. Everyone we played it with hated it. Um am so surprised Jamie's not in the chat tonight, but I'm sure Jamie would be shouting Senator at the top of his lungs for one of those terrible games we got as part of that sale. So definitely. Now, Sean, have you ever bought like a cheap game that just didn't work out or, or was better than you thought it would be?
0: Um, am trying to think and not really. Um, although, I mean, I suppose technically that uh, uh, that Marvel uh, Strike Force game, not Strike Force. Uh, yeah, that Marvel.
1: was the one I was thinking possibly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was uh, a reason uh, there was more content in it. Now, especially this was deeply discounted on sale, um, which was why it's, it's that it's a cheap game. Um, but no, it was, there's a lot of content and it it was remarkably solid. Uh, I don't think it, it sunk in as well with my son as I'd hoped it would. So it hasn't gotten back to the table as much, but I was really surprised by how much there was in it.
1: Yeah. Though I think that's $60 regular price. So would it be worth picking up at full price?
0: Uh, yeah, you'd got to be, you'd have to be a real
1: fan. Like, it, I mean, if it's in the fifty to sixty. That,
0: yeah, you'd have to be a real fan of that style of game. And I think that was the thing with my son. You know, my son likes the Marvel and stuff, but the uh, the 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 dudes on a map sort of skirmish concept wasn't really nah, not thing. for him. Fair enough. Uh, all right. Well, next up, we've got a question here from Roger from the discord. Uh, what are some of the weirdest games you've played and when does it get too weird to be fun?
1: I might save that one for a full topic at some point. I think that'd be an interesting, like top 10, top 20 at some, um, weirdest games. Um, the one behind Poseidon's kingdom. So Poseidon's kingdom, which unfortunately I'm getting rid of it. Um, you've got this board that shows the sea like waves going up on a beach and you have really well-crafted ceramic playing pieces that look like various sea creatures that are very cute, and you then set up a wave, it's called, and it's this cardboard mechanism that you put a bunch of dice on, then you tip the wave, which causes the dice to kind of tumble out, and depending on where they land, they're food for all these fish things. And then it's actually like a rondelle, because you're going around the board trying to eat the things to defeat the evil octopus. And... It's it, it it hits that too weird part. Like the wave is just too random. Half the time the dice spill like right off the board because you tipped it too quick. And like I get the concept, but I was just like, just let me find a way to roll these instead of this stupid cardboard wave thing that's not that sturdy. And yes, the pieces are fantastic looking, but for the price of the game, it's it's like a gateway kids game that cost eighty dollars. Like it's got the cute pieces, but and they're ceramic, which is awesome. And, and I bought it because it was a really good sale. So kind of jumping back to the other question, but I, I did my research on this one. But this actually looks good. Um, I have no idea what it rates on Board Game Geek. Maybe that's something Sean can look up. But Poseidon's Kingdom is definitely one that was very strange and still fun for a while. But I just it, it was too gimmicky. It was a bit too much.
0: Yeah, I can't think of anything on my. Uh... Uh, My list is...
1: Okay, so next would be Tower of Madness, which is kerplunk with marbles. It's Cthulhu, and you're trying not to go insane, and you're pulling out tentacles. And, well, the tentacles are just graphics because they're just kerplunk on the inside. And the problem with that one was that the fun part of the game is to pull out the marbles and then see if you go insane. Like, that's what's fun. Well, tacked onto this was this Yahtzee-like dice-rolling game and a point scoring system based on what you rolled on the dice, and you only actually pulled things when you failed. So when you played well and won, and played tactically, you no longer had got to do the fun thing, which just it was just to me poor design. Like like there should have been like I don't know like you wanted to fail at some point. You're like okay, I've won, I have the most points at this point. I'm just not gonna slot my dice properly in purpose. I'm gonna re-roll so I fail just so I get to pull a thing and see if marbles fall. So that was another one. Um, Tragedy Looper is another, because it's a, a versus game where you have one player being like the narrator in an anime mystery, generally murder. I think people die in all of them because it's, that's why it's a tragedy. And you have the other players playing teenage investigators trying to figure out what the tragedy is. So you sit down, you play the game and you have no idea what's happening. Like you can move around, you can talk to people, you can, you can, you can cheer people up, you can do some things. And eventually a tragedy happens and you're like, oh, Okay, that's what the tragedy is. And then it loops back to the beginning and you play again. But now the characters know what the tragedy is and they're trying to prevent it. And then they try to do the same thing. And if the tragedy happens, it loops back. And it's just, it's such an interesting concept of the whole Groundhog Day style time travel. But it is super fiddly and hard to learn because the actions are weird. And you basically, it's a logic puzzle. So you need like a flow chart where you're keeping track of okay, how many times did you cheer up this person? Where did this person move? Okay, this person moved. They when they when you moved them here, no one died. So that must be a proper move. And like it's just way too fiddly and weird. And and trying to sell someone on this concept when it's not like a light quick deduction game. Instead, it's this complicated token tracking, moving people on a board. And it's horrible to DM because if you screw something up, it can ruin the whole game. So that's another one i'm trying to think of other weird games uh 6.8 for poseidon's kingdom by the way six point is that's not bad that's, that, big that's big not big. terrible hate dexterity games it's too like it's avoiding a- pulling a stick see the thing with that it's not even a dexterity game it's kerplunk yeah, it's there's problem. no dexterity you just pull a thing yep. there's literally no dexterity in that game it's it's you're, you can't see the marbles like you can't there's no way to make a logical choice
0: yeah, the thing with one of the big negatives about Poseidon's Kingdom is actually the price. They put the really nice components yeah, into it said, it's, and jacked the price up way too high for what, what it is. Yes,
1: yeah, it's a lighter kind of kids game. That's exactly my thoughts on it.
0: Although, interestingly, the weight is listed as 2.3 on- I, Like
1: great. I said, it's not a rolling move. Like it's it's you yeah. have, it's you have one of those, you have multiple characters you control. So when, the, when you have to decide which ones to move, and you're also having to build up to fight this big boss at the end. Like it, it's not a kids game. It just looks, I don't know. It, it's semi-gateway. I break it out, but it's terrible for audio. And we're also recording a podcast here. (laughs) Um, Let me think. What else is weird? I'm I'm looking. I'm hoping Deanna types something in the chat. Trying to think of weird games like Riffraff. is kind of weird because it's a wooden ship on a literal gimbal that you're stacking things on. And it's just the fact that it's like literally on a gimbal wandering around. Oh, there's a good one. See, I thought Deanna might help. Niagara. So here's a game that uses the box. You open it up, you flip the box over, and here you have the Niagara Falls. That's something nice and near dear to most of us. And on it, you put these, like, discs. They're clear acrylic discs. And you have a bunch of canoes, and you put your canoes on. And then your goal is to use your two canoes to go down the river as close to the falls edge as you can to mine gems and then get them back to base camp. And the neat thing in this game is every round after you go... You slide a new acrylic disc on, and it causes all the other discs to slide down the falls. And then at the end of the falls, there's a branch, a fork, and you never know which way the discs are going to go. And most of the time, it goes this way, then this way, this way, then that way. And you can plan on that, but then every now and then, you get two discs in a row. And if your canoe falls off the end, you lose that canoe for so many times. And it's one of those games where it's everyone has perfect information, where you have the numbers 1 through 10, and you watch what other people played to know which way they're going to go. So that one's a cool one. Deanna, Deanna's kicking butt here. Click Clack Lumberjack. It's a game where you put a bunch of tree trunks with bark on them and stack it up. And then you get this giant wooden axe. Like it's not giant, giant, but like for a board game component. It's, you know, tall as a Barbie. Plastic axe. And you try to tap it just enough for the bark to fall off without knocking it over. So that's a pretty unique one. It's been uh, renamed and rethemed as Bling Bling Gemstone which I don't get as much because now it's like a tower of gems and you're trying to spelunk it off. I don't know. Click-Clack Lumberjack or Tick-Tock Woodman. That's another... There's multiple names for this one. Unfortunately, it's been pirated like crazy so you can find lots of fake versions. Indeed. indeed. And I got to say, Goku. Cuckoo run into that one. Goku is pretty dang weird.
0: Although I don't I don't know if it's weird. I mean, it's essentially just a variant on pickup sticks.
1: Well, yeah, it's you're just building sticks, it in
0: a you know it's just in a, in, a, in the canister instead of dumping them out of the canister you're you're playing in the you're playing in the canister
1: true i guess
0: uh I, this would be a Mo question does anyone remember a space game where you flick your ship to move and the board was a puzzle
1: board no no uh, Deanna's talking about flip ships she's thinking but flip ships you literally like flip tiddlywinks, trying to get them in a box there's no flicking it's different while you're flicking upward like you actually put them on an edge and you flip it up and yes, they rethemed it Space Invaders because everyone was like, "It's Space Invaders," and like, "Well, let's get the license and really release it." And actually, it looks really good. Um, flick your ship to move, and the board was a puzzle board. No, I do not. Um, all I can think of in that point is Space Cadets. Um, that's the only one I can think of in it. it but like, the, the flicking was only for the cannons. I don't remember one where you flick your ships. I just keep thinking like there's got to. That's why I kind of want to do. Th- I might do this one as a topic at some point because it definitely seems like a. A topic where there's some good ones out there we're missing. Like I'm just not thinking of.
0: Although I don't think we we I don't think we found anything yet that's too weird to be fun.
1: Um, uh, what was the first one I mentioned? Now I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, we're we're. This is why we're having an AMA tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um. So another one is Primordial Soup. Just because it's unique, you are playing Paramecium in a Primordial Soup, eating each other's poop, and when you eat a Paramecium, you poop out two poops of your color and then other people eat that and you slowly evolve your paramecium to have like tentacles or or flagellum so they can move more and the tide changes in the primordial soup which causes everyone to move around and actually is one of the best games i've ever played but like weird concept like like <laughs> and it, and it's done very abstract but yes it's it's the poop eating game as many people call it
0: until so Ryan Ryan actually answered his own question, it's ascending empires. Oh, you know what? I never
1: had that one, but Charles Frank, another flick, local gamer, flick your way to galactic domination. Yeah, Charles Frank owned a copy of that, but he, the board is one of the foldout boards, so it's terrible for flicking, and that's why I think the game didn't last. So what he did is he actually made his own board. Where he? Well,
0: it's not foldout board. It's it's they're puzzles. Or, they're yeah, but puzzle, this puzzle pieces and they don't. But fit they have flush. the edges.
1: Yeah, right. They don't fit flush. I'd, sorry, again, I didn't own it. But I know he went and made, like, he went and got a four by four piece of plywood and sanded it down. And, like, the planets are inset a bit. And you have to, like, flick and not let, hit the planet, but land near it to show your ships there. I always wanted to try that game.
0: See, it's, it's interesting because uh, the people are, like, in the, in the, I'm looking at some of the photos and they're like, no, it's not flat. That's part of the game. Again, it's it's well, one of those things Charles where the texture it, is,
1: is it, part it, of it. He wanted well, it fair. Yeah. <laughs> That's my
0: guess. But, uh, so it's actually rated
1: as 7.2 yeah. with 2000 ratings. It's supposed to be this good. Is a solid game. Yep. No, I agree. That is supposed to be. Yeah. Planets where dis is set in the board. Yes. When he said a maze, I totally. Oh, puzzle board. See, puzzle board. I was thinking puzzle board like you're flicking around a puzzle. No, nope, but. Which now I want pieces. a game where you flick around the pu- like labyrinth without the, you know, the wooden labyrinth, but instead you're flicking. Right. That's what I was totally picturing in my head, which is something different. I swear there's other weird, like I swear I could go downstairs and be like, wow, that's odd. Like we have a game called poo where you're playing monkeys playing and poop at each other. But I don't know. But it was too weird to be fun. It was just a dumb theme, and, the, and you, you had D twenty health that you we used to use D 20s So you had twenty health, and there was no way to track it. So we used D twenties, and it was fun in that way. That Munchkins fun. No, I think we got rid of poo. I don't know. We might still have it, <laughs> but I, I'm sure there's some.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't. I I can't think of anything really that counts to me as weird. Like the just the Tragedy <laughs>
1: Looper is probably the weirdest that I can think of.
0: Although you've been recommending that, so I
1: <laughs> I again it's got a learning curve. If you can get past that learning curve, it's worth playing. I always I always recommend that one with a caveat. It only ends up on a, a few specific lists. Like there aren't that many time travel games, or I don't own that many mystery games. Right. Yeah, dexterity games seem to get somewhat strange. Throw throw burrito's weird. Yeah, that's true. You're throwing something at each other. Yeah, well, hex, and there's, hex,
0: that, hex. there's that one with the uh the, the cavemen clubs.
1: Uh, oh Architect. Architect. There, Architect's pretty weird. That I agree, but it's definitely not too weird. So, Art Tech is a game where it's a cooperative game where you're telling your teammates how to build a structure. And you have a picture of it, and they don't, and it's a bunch of wooden blocks. The thing is, you can't speak English. And you have a whole list of moves, like whatever. Gunga means to the left, and and Unda means stack it, and whatever. And you get a big club, and anytime someone does something wrong, you bap them on the head to say they made the wrong move. And while they redid that as poetry for Neanderthals, I think, Uh, so yeah, that one's pretty strange. I, yeah, that fits is pretty strange. Um, Hex Hex is a a hot potato with magic spells that gets ridiculous. Like, once you have all the expansions and stuff in, and like it has elements where you have the, um, was it spoons or whatever? You have stuff in the center of the table and everyone has to grab one. And what it is is there's like three white things to grab and two black things, and someone gets stuck with none, and you never know which are actually good. So you never know what you should grab. Like in general, whites are usually good, but there's some cards where they're bad. And you're trying to damage the other players by passing around a magic spell. And the basic game is kind of boring, but it's kind of like playing Flux, where like it starts off, you're just passing the thing and it gets stuck with someone that takes some damage. But then there's ways to like duplicate the spell. And sometimes you'll have 20 spells flying around the table. It can be fun. I ended up getting rid of it because it started actual fist fights at public play events. So because <laughs> people just took it too seriously.
0: Um. Uh, all right. Uh, this is a little quick one. I think we covered a lot of this, but what do you, what do your kids think of Hero Quest, Ryan's asking?
1: Oh, my kids love it so far. We, we honestly haven't done much with it, unfortunately. We haven't been able to sit down and get together too often. Um, the biggest indicator to me was they lost and, and fairly badly and, and still want to play. So. It's always a good especially sign. Especially Gwen is all about winning. Uh, she, that, her, her winning a game greatly influences, her, her like of a game, unfortunately. And she's usually willing to give things a second try, but it, and now it's pretty much at the point where if she loses, she's willing to try again. But if she wins, she just likes the game. Right. Whereas the youngest doesn't care. The youngest goes in expecting to lose. So she doesn't get that upset by it. But yeah, they really enjoyed it. Um, I have a feeling they're going to want more character progression that's in the game because they're very much about name their characters, draw the picture of their characters and, and build your character. And there's really not a lot of that in Hero Quest. I still don't understand why they didn't make the first mission easier, but <laughs> along with other issues with that game.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Do they like the uh, the 3D props?
1: Um, I, to be honest, it didn't stick out for them because I use 3D props all the time. Like, true, like,
0: that's right. It's not all that, it's, it's all not that all
1: things. that novel to them because <laughs> when we play games, I tend to throw out 3D props. Like I have bowls full of 3D props for when I run D and D or or I play Gloomhaven or anything like that. So so it wasn't that weird. They do like the miniatures. I don't know. Uh, they were happy they could do an all-female party. So that's a thumbs up for the um, mythic tier backing and getting the alternate heroes. So they were happy about that. They they actually really like the fact they have an all-woman party. And they keep telling actually, me I have to share more pictures online to upset people.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, Jeff's got a question here.
1: Uh, this one's funny because I have this on our list of questions. So, oh. so he's asked this before.
0: Are we going are, are gonna... to... No, we can. Do you... Yeah. Do you own and keep games that you do not like just because they are important milestones in the history of board games and you might want to introduce someone to that historical contract context? I know I do, says Jeff. I,
1: a very little amount, much less nowadays. I was more worried about it before, um, especially like the, the big thing is when I run public play events. So, if I run public play events, there are certain games that are great for introducing certain concepts. So, Dominion is perfect for introducing someone to deck building. It is the best way to show someone the basics of deck building. Catan is still a really simple trading game and area control and teaches a lot of basic board game concepts that are used in almost every Euro game afterwards. Um, there's probably others. I'm drawing a blank. The minion's the big one I know I still have. Though I, I really should get rid of intrigue. Like just keep the minion. For some reason I have both. And I don't really feel I need both. Um, but in general, no. Um, what I do keep are games that were milestones in my progression, which is why my shelf behind me is covered in games workshop games that I probably will never play again. Like I have dreams of sometime Sean will move down to Windsor and maybe we'll break out some of these old games and see if they're still good. But in general, no. I I, I don't uh, most of the ones games I keep are, are nostalgia for me more so than, oh, this was a landmark. Or if it was a landmark, I still like it. Like, that's the other thing is like, like I keep El Grande because it's like one of the most pure area majority games, but I want to play El Grande. Like there's, there's no reason I wouldn't play it. It'd get the right group down and we'll sit down and play it. And like Shogun and Wallenstein, right? Like I love that. Like, yeah, they're cube tower games and they, they, they established a, a almost a brand of games for a while, but I still like the games and I want to play them. So there aren't a lot that, um, like, we have a Scrabble board. I I just kind of, it's old, and we have it. I don't remember the last time we used it. I guess we keep that for nostalgia's sake, though I'd never brought it out to events. So not really. Like, like I have a couple. Uh, Dominion's the best one, because I'm not a big fan. Like, I I don't see when I would play Dominion on our own, except to show it to be like, I'd show Sean. I'm like, here, you like deck builders. This is what started it. Now you've seen it. Okay, let's go play a better deck builder. <laughs> I know I, I, I star realms like what I do did do for a long time is I would keep games I don't like to bring to public play events that's like a, but even like I that's why I have a copy of love letter love letters an example of one I don't really enjoy and Hanabi that's another one Hanabi and love letter are two I own just to have at events and those are ones that I specifically like to bring out to drinking events those are the ones I want to bring out to like villains bistro easy mode where people there's they're, they're social games more so than tactical games. And I do not love love letters, so that the love letter's a good example, Dominion's another, but it's not like I have a ton. I don't have a bunch of you know gateway games just for introducing people to board games anymore.
0: All righty, excellent. I uh, hope that answers Jeff's question for him. Uh, next, we've got a question that came out of the discord. Pax asks, "What's a standout moment of delight at the way I knew to you?" Gameplay. Like something that made you laugh out loud because the game revealed itself to be so clever or elegant.
1: I should have said AMA where I don't think so much on my feet. <laughs> <laughs> laugh out loud is hard. Um, Probably medium. Medium would be an example. Yes. Specifically medium. Sitting downstairs. I think you were there for the first game, yep. weren't you? Yep. Sitting downstairs and I explained the rules and I passed the cards out. And specifically picking up my hand. And seeing the cards and realizing how those cards would interact was awesome. Like, just like, oh, I get it now. Just seeing my first hand of cards, I'm like, oh, I get it. Yep. And then when we had the first, it went terribly, but the first actual trying to get a medium, which I think was Sean and D or it was Tori and D. I know D was involved and she didn't say it was anything. Just, it was just me, you and D the
0: first time. It was time. okay,
1: yeah. That is, so that was where that then that was where D just blocked up, up. Yeah, yeah <laughs> she just couldn't say a word. And we laughed and and like we hadn't laughed that much since probably Telestration some night at three AM. So yes, definitely. So that is 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 in a, a perfect example, I think, of that. Is is that game of median medium it just clicked like like the two things the two moments of looking at the cards going oh wow they did a really good job at picking cards and then the actual ones like people laughing out loud like like falling off the chair laughing and like before that and the first time i played telestrations was like that going way back uh playing telestrations at 3 a.m at extra life events has definitely done it um
0: Another. I have to say, for me now, this isn't a laugh out loud, but a sort of sand out moment of of delight, I guess you could say, was the first time we sat down and played the Minecraft
1: game. Yeah, builders and biome.
0: Because we weren't expecting this to be a game. It, it was going to be. I, it, we were hoping it was going to be better than that trash uh, Minecraft card game I <laughs> my kids got, but I was honestly not expecting the depth of gameplay in that. And when we sat down and realized, oh wait, this is, wow, this is, there's a, there's a game
1: yes, here. There's a real game
0: here. Um, it, and, and, you know, the way they use their, cu- the cube, you've got the, the, the cube
1: of cubes. The, the one thing that really makes it feel Minecrafty.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're chipping away at this giant cube of cubes. Uh, I it really shocked me because uh, I, I was completely not expecting them to have made a game game.
1: So I wasn't as shocked by it. But yeah, it was definitely a, a surprising game.
0: Well, and I think one of the things that holds you back a little bit from the, the the delight is the combination of uh you know the depth of research you do before you even look at a game. Oh yeah. But also but also the unboxing videos. I've uh, already you're, seen you're, you're you're yeah, there's so much sort of ramp up to when you get that game at the table, it's pretty hard to hit that level.
1: Yeah, it's true, to be surprised
0: uh where's another one well i mean probably I, I would say probably go is would so would be something oh yeah like, so, uh, so
1: that's a perfect example right so here i am i'm at at origins Games fair and then there's wayne humfleet the star wars guy who's actually one of our patrons so thanks wayne isn't he maybe not it was, was i think he's still is, is. He? is he still i don't remember saying his <laughs> name that's why i'm like i don't think we have him on the list but i'm pretty sure he's uh-huh. still a patron wow wayne sorry Anyway, I know he doesn't tend to actually listen to podcasts. He's just an old friend from G+, who I've actually... He is the person I hang out with at Origins. He works uh, works the White Wizard Games booth every year. And every year, he has shown up with something that is like some dumb party game that ends up being awesome. And the first year is one I still don't own. I can't bring myself to buy it. It was Cheeky Monkey. And he was walking around the Origin Games Hall the entire time with this stuffed monkey under his arm, and you have to reach in the monkey's butt and pull out chips. And it's literally, it's a bag builder, and the bag happens to be a monkey. So he definitely got me got me into that one, right? But I'm like, I don't know, I can't buy the monkey butt game. It was a little too light for me. <laughs> but then the next year, it was, it was the mind. He was the first person I ever heard go nuts over the mind. Sorry, go bonkers over the mind. And, well, everyone knows how much that exploded for a few years. Now it's not quite the deal it was. At the time, but at the time, he was the one that knew it. And he's like, You gotta get to the Pandasaurus booth as soon as it opens. You gotta get there. They're gonna sell out. And I tried and they sold out, but I did get to play it and it blew me away on the mind. And I'll admit, I still don't actually own a copy of the mind, do I? No, we bought the mind. We do have the mind. I, I don't think I got it that weekend. Well, the last Origins we went to in 2019, he's like, Mo, you got to play this game. Go Cuckoo. You got to go to the Habba booth and you got to play this game. And it's like reverse pickup sticks. Oh, my God. It's amazing. And I'm like, the Habba booth? Like, Habba makes kids games. Like, but they make animal upon animal. Like, like they, they, they do some good ones. But I'm like, he's like, no, 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 go try it. So I had a meeting with T from Haba already set up. So when we get there, she's trying to show me these Euro games. They had a new line of games. Which I think they called game night games. I totally forget now. They weren't in yellow boxes. Uh King of the Dice was one. Like they're still simple games, but they're not kids' games. So she's trying to show me these, and I'm like, "Can I see Go Cuckoo?" She's like, "You want to see Go Cuckoo?" I'm like, "Yeah, I want to see Go Cuckoo." She's like, "You know that was like a limited release for Easter, right?" And I'm like, "Easter's not even coming up." I'm like, "Yeah, but I heard this is really good." She's like, "Okay," and then she leads me over. They lead me over and show me Go Cuckoo, and and I'm like, "Oh, that actually looks pretty neat." I I want to take a copy, and I bought it. Like I didn't even. This wasn't even a review copy uh, of Go So I, so I grabbed Go and then I did make a deal with them to get some review things as well. But that's the part's not important. And then I take it and we go, I don't remember where we probably went back to home base because this is at this time I was hanging out with misdirected mark people and we played it and we're like, Oh, this is brilliant. And I don't know how many times we played over the weekend or how many people we played with, but that game got played at every social gathering I was at. We go to Barley's for drinks, I brought Goku. We went to the Three Ponies for Shepherd's Pie, I brought Goku. I went to an RPG, I brought it, and if the game ended early, I put Goku on the table after playing Hydro Hackers and we played Goku. So yeah, Go Cuckoo is a great one.
0: Yeah, it's weird. Whatever they whatever they came out with, they don't seem to they seem to have killed that that branding already, because I'm not seeing
1: I think it was Game Night games. Like it, it's it was on the box. I'd have to look at the the box for King of the Dice. Um Karuba was in that line. Which you yeah. and D played.
0: They're not in yellow. They're definitely. Yeah, not they're not yellow. Non-yellow,
1: but... And I think they were called Game Night games. And it might have been inside the box. Uh, terrible typing sound.
0: Game Night approved? Had Because there's HABA family games, but those are a mix of yellow and other.
1: Oh, uh, uh, dice. I know, terrible. I usually say I won't Google while we're, while we're doing this. I want the back of the box. Does anyone have a picture of the back of the box there? Does it say anything? Oh, it's not in English. Which makes sense because oh, HABA's not. I think it was Insight. Whatever. Anyway, they launched a a new. We are not just kids' games brand, which made sense at right. the time.
0: Yeah. No. Absolutely.
1: I can't find. So I think it was Game Night. All right. I saw lots in the chat. I don't know if we saw anything important there. Not necessarily questions, but like people saying uh, t- stuff. A
0: lot of people talking about. So a lot going back to those uh, you know classic games. Yep. Talking about uh, Catan, Kark, Citadels, Puerto Rico.
1: Okay, so Citadels um, I sold. Puerto Rico I still play. Uh, Kark's one. I, I like Kark though, again. Like, like, I, I'm not keeping it just because it's a good gateway game, but I'll admit it's been a long time since I played Kark and I probably would only break it out with new people. Personally, I prefer Isle of Sky, but Deanna doesn't like Isle of Sky. Like, I think Isle of Sky kills Kark completely. Almost Jones theories it out of for, for experienced gamers where Kark's definitely, and, and if why would I play Kark now with new gamers when I have land versus sea? Like,
0: see, and if I'm going to play Kark, I want to play the digital online, like the Steam version yeah. of Kark is, really really good mm. like it's i have a I have a hard time wanting to to bother with the the setup of kark when i know that there's a
1: way better yeah. version sitting there on the computer i used to play a lot of kark on the xbox and it was pretty good on the xbox see i kark kark i think i still have two copies downstairs one that's got all my expansions in and one that's just the base game that i got off someone at some point because they didn't want it so
0: now Ryan doesn't join us on Sundays, and he's asking us about Kickstarters. Are we gonna, are we going to cover any of that? Or we can talk a bit
1: about Kickstarters because we're not <laughs> going to do a lobby, so we can do that.
0: Sure. So here's a Might and Magic three board game to crowdfund late this year. Any thoughts? And we do have thoughts. We actually went into detail on this on Sunday. Yeah. But it's what they've done is they've taken the art and that feel, and they've really sort of given you a lot of that inspiration, but we are pretty sure that they aren't going to capture the awesome combat system yes. of Heroes of Mind Magic 3, which is a huge drawback. Like because That's
1: the whole point, right? You go around, then you collect new troops, and you upgrade, and you do all that like to win the battles to eventually take over the temple. I don't know. that The company that's doing it does not have a track record. They don't have any, like they have designers who have designed things, but nothing, no, no big hits. I I am extremely skeptical of it, like extremely yeah, skeptical. I think
0: it's going to look great and I think it's going to give you feels looking at it, but I think it's going to suffer some
1: as a game. <laughs> so Jeff finds it odd, I call Carcassonne cark but I, I don't, I've probably been doing that since like 2002 or so. Yeah,
0: I've uh, that's just what I've always called it. Probably because of you, maybe, I don't know.
1: Probably. I'm, I've now called Catan Catan for years. That was always Settlers, 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 because that's what it says on my box. Right. They totally stripped the that branding. part of it. And I'm like, I don't even understand why they decided everyone calls it Catan, because everyone I know calls it Settler. Some people called it Farm, Farm the Game, which also I oh, think yeah. fits. But. Yeah, absolutely. Carcassonne. All right. Just call it The song. Let's play The song that tile laying game. Uh, but no, honestly, I, I more so should probably get rid of it, because Land versus Sea is a way better gateway tile laying game. No, absolutely. Nowadays, The one I love is Carcassonne, the city, but no one even owns that one. I, is it the city? The castle. I like both, actually. Carcassonne, the city is the one that's designed by Rainier Nitzia, and it's two-player only. That one's okay. I, it's good, but it takes up too much space. But the original, the other one, Carcassonne, the castle, I love, where you actually have wooden walls you're building, and you put guards on the walls, and they score based on what they can see. That is actually my favorite version of Carcassonne. Yeah, the one in the wooden box is the, is the city carcassonne the city um we also own hunters and gatherers which is better than the original as well though i prefer the original with the expansions i own which is in the cathedrals and traders and barbarians mm-hmm. i own more than that but those are the two i always use so there we've answered the question of what how do you play carcassonne <laughs> that's the uh, one i wonder i wonder uh, do you have all those online like the steam can you get traders and builders and
0: i believe you can i have not uh, done all the things that I almost never play it. Right. So I haven't, uh, um, I haven't bought all the upgrades, but I know there's a ton of different, uh, upgrades you can get for it. So, um, they, they don't, uh, they don't short you on DLC. <laughs>
1: <laughs> of course
0: not. Uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here to one that PAX had in the discord. And, uh, so they've been binging video game speed runs recently. Okay. And this actually is, is, is a little bit, uh, I'm going to reference the the chat room here as well. So their question is, are there any board games where you could see a way to use a quirk of the rules or mechanics, a glitch, if you will, to take a different path to the end game than the designers intended or anticipated. Uh, And I jumped this one into the, into the queue a little early because we've had people talking about Puerto Rico in the chat room and, as as frustrates many people, there are ways to play Puerto Rico <laughs> yeah. that uh, have ideal solutions that well, I don't think the I don't think were ever actually in- anticipated or intended
1: by the designer because they are game breaking. See, I'm not sure about that. It's it's not like that in, in in Puerto Rico. The problem with Puerto Rico is there's a scripted opening, so it's more like there are set openings in chess, and certain ones you play and certain you don't. Puerto Rico has a scripted start, which isn't a glitch. It's just there is a method that's better than other methods. And while if you don't, if you have anyone at the table who doesn't follow the script, it screws over the person on your left or right. I forget which. And while people get really upset because you stepped away from it, which personally, I think now you just made the game interesting because now we like... If it really was that scripted, start at turn six. Like just do the thing. Like you get a you get a, you get a I know corn's part of it. You get a corn, you get an ink, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. Now it's play. If that's literally the problem. But the thing is people can mess with it. But if you watch like a tournament, everyone's gonna open the same. It's it's like it is the opener, which again, I don't think it's really an exploit. It may have even been intended by the designer. That there is a way that, you know, someone's got to grab corn. Someone should grab this. Someone should grab this. Someone should grab this. So all these things are in play and these buildings are in play at the beginning. But again, that's bad design. Modern design would be give everyone that stuff to start then. So I, I don't see it as a glitch.
0: Yeah. I, I it, maybe bad it game design. I don't know. I, again, you're right. It should just jump to the sixth yes. turn with everyone having all case. that stuff. If that is actually the case to me, that, that does seem as, uh, unintended, uh, or, or, I don't know if it's unintended or just bad design. Yeah. One of the two, I I
1: honestly don't know the difference. And all you got to do is use the expansion and that's gone because that randomizes what buildings are in play and then you never have the script. Like it's, it's been fixed by the designer by putting out the, the buildings, which now come with the base game. So that's definitely part of it.
0: Going back to that question, are there any board games where you could see a way to use a quirk of the rules or mechanics, a glitch
1: to take a different path to the end game? I'm thinking there probably are but I'm not thinking of any. Now, where I have had this happen is in escape room games. Mm -hmm. I have played escape room games where I got the solution and it wasn't the way they intended you to. And I'm like, I got it right. And I'm like, but I did it right. And then I like look at the clues and I'm like, oh, that's how we were supposed to get there. Okay, well, that's not how we did it or or something like that. Um, And I can't think of a very specific example, but I know that's happened a couple times, like not even just once. Um, Or also in, in, in that type of game where we solve something ahead of time. And it was frustrating because there was no way to like input that, but we'd already figured it out. Um, I'm I'm trying to think of like pitch cars. (laughs) The other one I think of where there's like if you skip the track a certain way, like there's there's rules for how many track sections, and if you played a lot of pitch car and you know that rule, you can look at certain layouts and be like, oh, instead of going around the track. If I do this, but then you're only allowed to skip certain sections.
0: Yeah. Cause you can only skip three sections,
1: two or three or something. I I don't remember the exact rule. Same with like, you're not supposed to, like, if you bang into someone else's car and knock them off, they get put back. You can do some things to kind of bend the rules where you use someone else's car and you want to get reset. So you purposely do this, which is not in the spirit of the rules because it's supposed to be a race. Right.
0: Well, I think Jeff's asking, you know, how to use a glitch that isn't cheating. I think the question is uh, whether or not that glitch has been, you know, has been closed or not, right? If there's an FAQ somewhere that, that answers the question, but I, you know, rule books have, you know, sometimes not fully, fully answered. They haven't, the, the designers and, and play testers haven't fully found all the different games. I mean, look at Magic the Gathering, right? You know, oh. they, they need to come up with a billion new rules. There you every, go. Magic uh, is probably every release of,
1: of lots of glitches uh, people have found and exploited.
0: Right. Uh, those, they, then they come out wow. and eventually the game fixes them, but there are glitches that happen because you just can't account for all the possible combinations. And you've got some really smart people out there who can go, Oh, well, if I do this, 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 and this, all of a sudden you're instantly dead,
1: yeah. you know, <laughs> and that sort of thing. Another one is, um, uh, uh, Warhammer 40k. There's a meme out there and I couldn't tell you exactly how it worked, but there was some person who was winning all the tournaments but using some weird rule exploit about holding his entire army in reserve mm. and then someone else showed up and then did a thing where he started with his whatever on the opposite side of the board so the other guy could never deploy his troops so he won and the, yeah the no, meme i, I, is I, like I remember that you talking
0: about that once and i and i ended up researching it yeah and, and it was like fascinating. yeah yo, that was it was really interesting what he had done um
1: and it was it was again just it's someone was abusing the rules and then someone better abused it, which I, just, yeah, yeah. it was very much a schadenfreude moment that I thought <laughs> was really good. Absolutely. Um, war games definitely used to happen. Um, I know people cheat, but that's not necessarily a glitch. Um,
0: yeah, it's, it's really, you need to look for those, those I gaps exploit. in the rules. Yeah. It's, it's the gaps in the rules that haven't been covered
1: uh, and, the thing and- is with board games though is the rules are I forget the two words I'm I'm gonna forget the rules words the, one of the big things that separates the board games from role playing games is whatever the, the rules in board games are definitive or whatever right. in a role playing game or in a board game you can only do what the rules tell you can do whereas in a role playing game it's what you can't do that the rules tell you. And again, I forget right. the terms for that. So even in board games, like, like the, the exploits that some people are going to call exploits, oh, it's not the rules, I can do this, goes along with that. Well, it doesn't say I can't punch you, you know, <laughs> so uh, that's okay to do it. And, and most board gamers won't accept that. Like the, the the table culture doesn't allow for people to pull in things that aren't in the book. Yep. So it's 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 hard to get those type of video game glitches, right? Like the, the sh- shortcuts. Um, some examples, there's infinite points. Uh, Star Realms. Star Realms, there are quite a few combos that are hard to do it where you get you could get infinite points. And I pulled it off once. Where it just has to do with thinning your deck so you keep cycling your deck because you're trashing a card to get points. And then you recycle your deck so you get to pick it back up and do it again type of thing. Dominion, there was a way to do that with a certain thing where you just never run out of actions. And there was a way to shuffle your deck. Uh,
0: someone was mentioning uh, Chapel Plus Lab at Dominion.
1: Yes, it, maybe that's it. I don't remember. Um. That's but, what I said. Uh, no, there was a Dominion one. I wasn't actually reading the chat to know Dominion got pulled. Deck builders. Deck builders tend to have, like I said, not exploits, but certain card combinations that are ridiculously powerful if you're able to get them. I, there was, There's one in Clank where you can get infinite Clank. Like you can get all your cubes Clanked out.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, no, there's uh, there's definitely some stuff out there. I think – what and a lot of it is uh, how rules are – read mm-hmm. uh and, and getting into the grammar arguments. I um we yes. uh I think it was uh Draconis where we had there were a couple of things where it's like okay there is no FAQ so we need to now analyze the grammar in the wording to yes. see
1: what yeah are there the any other cards true? that say yeah. you know I, I can't remember what it was but yeah there was one in Draconis. Card game anything where you're throwing in that many variables, right? Like card games. Yeah. Every card impact impacts everything. Magic of the gathering, every CCG. Every every one of those, um, that's where you see it. But like, I can't think of like Shogun if there's some exploit about if you hold on to your cubes instead of putting them in the tower, you can do it or something. I, I guess the the Risk Australia thing would be an example of turtling in Australia. And Risk is probably an exploit where it's it's against the the theme of the game, but it works.
0: Yeah, they're talking about people are talking about uh, rules and abilities and and grammar in uh, in in rules may versus must.
1: Yes, um, versus and it's
0: interesting. I've actually gotten into this recently. One of the th- one of the things I'm doing in my job right now is I'm writing a glossary of terms, and a lot of these terms that we come up up with in in my job are from the construction industry. Right. And one thing you learn in the construction industry is define, 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 define. So if you've got a spec. And the word furnish is in the spec or provide, there will be definitions in there. Uh, Even, even though there are standard definitions for those in the industry, they will be defined Mm -hmm. in that document Um, and and things like that, because the difference is, you know, massive, Mm -hmm. whether or not, you you know, whether or not you're, you're including a $50,000 labor budget or just shipping some product. (laughs)
1: Yeah, the may versus must one's huge because I worked in quality for a number of years and with ISO certifications. May and must are huge and people don't understand the difference. You must have the following eight documented procedures. Your documented procedures may be kept, you know, and it totally mattered. Oh, absolutely. Sorry, the, the, the more ISO one is, sorry, you must have eight procedures for these eight things. These may be documented means they can be verbal which is something a lot of people forget and they over document I'm like why are you writing all this down that's all stuff you can just get audited for and get in trouble for don't even write it down as long as everyone can answer the question when you say what is your process for this you're good that's how you pass ISO audits you make sure you don't write down anything you can actually get wrong there we go and if you want to hire me as a consultant for ISO auditing i could use a a a part time job so <laughs> tell you how to get through with zero nonconformances every time
0: so, uh, D has brought up uh, privately that we're not going to talk about tonight, but I'll give you a preview of what's going to be coming up on Sunday. Okay. So, uh, after our copyright and, uh, legal episode that we did a little while back, uh, a large case has come, is coming up in front of the Supreme Court mm. that's actually involving the game of life. Okay. Uh, and it has some interesting, um, Outcomes depending on on how the justices rule. Uh, they have taken on the case, so there will be a ruling. It's just a matter of which way they go. But uh, it's got some interesting long, uh, it's, uh, interesting uh, outcomes for content pre nineteen seventy eight. Okay, so we'll we'll be talking about that a little bit on Sunday uh, when we chat.
1: And Deanna wanted to talk about um, playing games of vision impaired was a topic. Ryan would probably be. Which Absolutely. would be on Sunday. Although I know Ryan Sunday. can't often make it on there on uh, Sundays, Sunday. so. All right, I think we should fire off Dave's questions and then put them back in the pile so the next time we have an AM, and then I think we'll wrap it up because so it's almost ten thirty. I don't All know right. if you have a if if people in the chat last chance. We're we're gonna go hammer off these three quick questions and then um, which may not be that quick once I start thinking about them because again I just kind of looked at what they were. I I vaguely looked at them and went yeah okay what's game of the year and I don't have an answer at this point. Um. <clears throat> And so if anyone has a question, get it in now, if you wish. Um, Though I think you might want to throw this one in, just because it is someone in the chat. Sure. See, it's it's basically there. I even copied Jeff's question there. <laughs> I didn't even just, realize. That's the one I copied what, from the apparently notes. Apparently
0: we haven't. Uh... See,
1: I told you. I'm like, that's like the same question he asked. That's All funny. Right, there we go. See, it shows how much we read our show notes. I had copied Jeff's previous question. In here is an if needed, if no one in the chat speaking up. And it was, he basically said, do you keep any board games because of their historical relevance? Did Jeff really wanted to? Yes, I guess he did. <laughs> That's funny. All so right, well, I, I think Dave, we should cover this, but let's do Dave's. Yeah. Dave, Dave asked us in the
0: Discord today. So with all these monthly AMAs, it might be fun to track some things. So first off, what game did you play the most of the past month?
1: The past month. So we're talking January. I, uh, at yeah, this point. I
0: think, yeah, we're we're still early enough
1: in and, February. And honestly, I'm going to look this up. I am going to say off the top of my head, man, maybe Azul? Azul on Board Game Arena is going to be my guess. It's possibly something like Aqualine too, or something else. D&I hammered off a bunch of games one night. <laughs> All right, let's look. Lod Plays played 34 games in January. Wow, number one is Lost Ruins of... Jesus. So yeah, Lost Ruins of Arnak at four plays was my most played game of last month. Next was Aqualine, then The Game, then Azul. So I was I was in the top 5 and then Chronicles of Avell. All right, well,
0: there we go. Uh I I have to say mine is it's not, not going to be an arnak. Um I think Azul might be one, although we haven't actually I think I've actually finished we haven't more We finished as many I think, as I, I thought. Think we finished we more finished. games of Tapestry than we have of Azul.
1: No, I got <laughs> two of each actually. Okay. Oh, I should I, yeah, I said they're in order, but you know what? I have a whole bunch that are two. So, Chronicles of Evol, Doodle Dungeon, Star Wars Unlocked Tapestry, and WWE Superstar Showdown are actually all tied. Uh,
0: so, it looks like, actually, Sushi Go is my my boast uh, from the last, which isn't a big shock. Uh, so, uh, next up, what games are currently in the lead for Game of the Year? I mean, I know what D's going to say. So well, no,
1: same thing. Arnak, so far. Yeah. Like, uh, for us, it, it was new to me this year. Arnak yeah. definitely wins. Uh, being able to play it online has been awesome. Definitely enjoying Arnak. Uh, I don't think anything else has come close, to be honest.
0: And I think that that answers our next question, too, which is the best new-to-you game you tried in the last
1: month. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right, well, no, because, well, if it's new, when did I play Arnak first? Did I play it? Oh, yeah, because I got it for Christmas. So, yes, just because it's January. I'm like, if, if we go into this month, then maybe not. Yeah, so Arnak for both of them. So what I'm thinking is we can do this every time we have an AMA. We'll try to remember yep. to throw these in. So yeah, game of the year. Now, if I had to do a 2022 game, I don't think I played any. Yeah, Chronicles think, of FL. There you go. Chronicles of FL. Nope. That's 2021.
0: Hmm. And I have, I'd say for me, Arnak is definitely in the lead for game of the year for me as well. Uh, even though I haven't played it physically and I, I really need to.
1: <laughs> yeah, it would probably help. Yeah, I have not. I'm looking to see if I've even played a 2022 game. I have not. Or it's, oh yeah, it should be going 2021 probably like 2022 it's been a month i obviously have no games that have come out yet yeah there's almost no games that have come out so that one those will all start coming out in march most likely yeah so best game of 2021 that i've played is arnak 2021 no it's 2020 so it's it's looking like chronicles of avell is the best 2021 game i've played so far which might be the only 2021 (laughs) game i end up playing i think disney sidekicks was in there yeah but that's not that's not winning nope. anything. Nope. Uh Dune Imperium. No, twenty twenty for Dune Imperium. It's older than I thought.
0: Well yeah, it's the same came out the same time as Arnak, so twenty twenty for both of them.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. They were like the same week. That's right. Wow, Arnak's up to the number three in family games. Who the hell calls that a family game? That's weird. I, I yeah, I wouldn't call that I wouldn't rate game. that as a family game. Strat- it's number thirty one in strategy, but how is that a family? Game? Yeah, I don't know. The that type family strategy. Can a, <laughs> how do you vote on this? It's a poll, I guess. Fun for kids and adults. 74 people have voted it. Fun for kids and adults. Strange. Yeah, I don't. Thematic game, none. I put it thematic over family, though it's not an emphasis on narrative. All right. Well, I have voted. We'll see if that (laughs) That, that changes things. No, that's not a family weight anything. Oh, that was something we found out. So, uh, because we're not doing a lobby, because it seems silly to do a lobby after this, is um, my package from the op was returned to them. Oh, well, I probably should save that for for Coffee. I closed the notes somewhere, trying to find, see where we're at.
0: So our last question you wanted to cover. Yeah, yeah. just because it's Ryan. What is a game you have culled from your collection you never intended to and why?
1: All right. I think we talked about this, but Anachrony. So I backed the Anachrony um, Fractures of Time Infinity box which was a new printing of Anachrony in a bigger box with box inserts and a brand new expansion that didn't exist before that would fit all the existing expansions I already owned. And I backed it at some point And then later was like, oh, you know, we don't have a lot of money right now. And I just backed this $80 Kickstarter or something. I'm like, I'm, we're selling games. And what happened was I listed some games for sale on Facebook. And someone was like, what other games do you have? So I started just taking pictures and I was like, here's all of them. And I listed them, pictures, like 80 games. And they're like, they took eight of them and I sold them an Akroni. So then months later, maybe even a year later, it was a long time. Whenever the Kickstarter delivered, it shows up on my porch and it was in here for a long time. and I'm like, it's in here, but I'm going to save it for an end of the episode unboxing. So it sat here for probably another couple of weeks. And then I open it up and it says upgrade pack. And I'm like, oh, shoot. And I went on Kickstarter and I looked and sure enough, I did not back at the get all the stuff level. Instead, I backed at the upgrade level and I no longer had the base game. So thankfully, I contacted the person that bought all these games off me and said, hey, I screwed up. And they went, oh, that's cool because we didn't like it. Which I'm like, what? You didn't like Anachrony? But whatever. And they sold it back to me for the exact same price they bought it off me. So no loss, no harm, no foul. But man, I messed up. Like like, And then trying to get a copy of Anachrony at that point was going to be terrible. Oh, yeah. Like it, it, it was, and as Deanna pointed out, when I first got it, I, I'm like, did they not ship me? what I backed that? Because I swore I backed at the full level. Like I totally right. had convinced myself the whole game was coming. So that is the one big example of when I sold something I shouldn't have.
0: All right. And the follow-up to that question is, what game do you keep trying to call from your collection, but just can't seem to find a new home for and won't just throw away?
1: All right. So there's a few um big trouble in little china the deck building game legendary big trouble in little china no one seems to want it even though i I thought it was okay for a legendary game i just don't like legendary games um next would be battleship galaxies which was awesome but needed an expansion it was a hasbro worked with avalon hill to put out a new good version of battleship set in space with like fleet battles and all this stuff and it's really solid but it comes with two armies that were meant to be expandable and they were never expanded and they never put out the other armies. And while well, it ends up being just the same battle over and over again, which is still more interesting than battleship. But like I played that battle five, six, 12 times or something like that. So that one, no one seems to want it. Cause I think they just see battleship and are like, I'm not paying $30 or more for battleship. Um, and then there was a flicking game called bicycle, but it's spelled weird. Cause it's not in English. I don't remember exactly how it's spelled and it's pitch car. But with something called the Z-Ball. And it's a proprietary ball that has little ball bearings inside it. So unlike Pitch Car, where you're just flicking your Crokinole disc, you can actually like put English and backspin on it. And it will actually stop on a slope because of the small marbles or whatever inside it. Okay. And it's a bicycle racing game. And it works like Pitch Car, but the thing is you have your bike. And you put the bulb in front of your wheel. Then you flick it. And then you put your miniature back. And it uses ramps. It's, a, it's like advanced Pitch Car. But it's just so hard. Like the Z-Ball takes actual skill to be able to flick. And unless you have a group that plays it all the time together and gets good at it, you bring it out to a public play event and people just like can't get it up the first ramp. Or it just keeps rolling back or flicking it halfway across the room. So I finally decided to get rid of it, and I paid a ridiculous amount of money for this one because it's not available in North America. And a whole bunch of people on Board Game Geek at the time were like, "Oh, it's so much better than Pitch Car, and you can get so much better." And like, you go on YouTube and watch people use the Z Ball; it's really impressive. Um, and it's it's a there's another version called Roadsters, which is even more so Pitch Car because it's race cars. So that it's down here. If anyone's interested in bicycle, um, it's all plastic and snap together, not wood. It looks like electric race car track. I don't know. And no one seems to want that. So those are the ones I can think of. And then Deanna just pointed out one we shouldn't have gotten rid of, but we intentionally did, and that is Android, which we talked about when we were talking about mystery games. So that last episode, two episodes ago, yeah. when we talked about mystery games, Android, which is the Philip K. Dick board game, which is you are basically playing Blade Runner. And it. I, I don't know. I, I was so frustrated with a couple plays of it that I got rid of it. And the people I gamed with at the time hated it. But now I agree with a totally different group of people. Like, I'm not just a Tori and cap, but, like, my old Monday night group is even a totally different group of people than my Android. Then the group I played with when we had Android. And I basically got rid of it because the people I played with hated it. And um, it is not a bring it out to public play event. It's a three to six hour murder mystery, super complicated, lots going on game. And just isn't suitable for, hey, sit down, let's play this. So right. it made sense, but yeah, I should have I should have kept that. I wish we had kept that. I want to play it again, and maybe I get it now and play it again, and somehow I got rose tinted glasses, and I'm like, oh no, uh, Jeff, I think you're thinking of Android Netrunner, the card game, but I'm not positive. I don't think you can play Android. It's just called Android. I'm gonna look Fair quick because
0: although they're may- they're very well, well, maybe you can play almost anything on that uh, yeah system. Although I think uh, they are still.
1: Uh, oh, trying to search that doesn't work. Well, yeah, you'll get all the hits for Netrunner. No, not even that. Just trying to search oh. Android gives you all well, the Google. Yes. There and go. is it coming <laughs> to Android? Can I get it on this?
0: Yeah, no, that's not a good search. Yeah, one of those, that's one of those game titles that just does not age well.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh It's all not right. listed under DLC games, but it very well could be in the community. Yeah, I'm sure it's there somewhere, but All right. I'm going gonna... I'm to give up soon. Yeah, Android Netrunner is on Steam, but not yeah. Android, which is, I'm, I'm assuming that's what Jeff was talking about. No, this is a completely different
0: game. This is And yes, Ryan's saying, Android the board game seemed ambitious and crunchy in its time.
1: Yeah. And Dana points out here, here's a good, weirder, unique game that was too weird for its own good. Because it just, like for some of my friends, it was unplayable. It was a murder mystery where you don't figure out the mystery. You determine it during the game. And yes, Jeff would probably love it. Um, it's, it's, it's a, a mix of how catch and who done it all in one. Cause it's all about trying to, to find the murderer, but the murderer is determined by like player votes in the middle of the game. And there's literal jigsaw puzzles you have to put together. All of this would be apps nowadays. Like you would literally, you play End Runner, and you would go, "Oh, I have to do the code breaker," and they give you an app. Well, it's old enough game that they give you plastic, like like not plastic, cardboard pieces that you had to connect. And there was a circuit board in the corner of the board, and you got points by connecting points on it. And like I said, the neatest thing is everyone's cars were different, so you actually have like uh, like protractors with a picture of your car and how far your car can fly every turn. And like one of the characters, their car is like super fast, so it's got like a long thing for moving around the board. And you literally have to use like a measuring tape thing to figure out if you can reach different spots. It, it might be great as an app, but I said the people I played it with hated it enough that were like, "No, I, I never want to see this on the table again." And I'm like, "All right." And like it was a regular who played all the time, and then someone else didn't enjoy it. They didn't like the fact that their goal was to make someone the murderer, and that person got killed, and they were like. It ruins the game because I can't win now. And I'm like, the thing they're missing is that it's a point salad. It's a point game. Just getting the murderer right isn't necessarily how you win the game. Part of it's keeping your character balance because it's a noir and you have you have problems. All the characters have, have issues they have to deal with during the game. And you have to keep your character balance. And you get points for that. And like I said, connecting that circuit grid and whatever, talking to so many suspects. And that was all worth points. And you could very, well, not easily, but you could win the game. Without getting the murderer right. That was just an aspect of it. Which is why we're like, it's Philip K. Dick, the board game.
0: My my favorite comment from the reviews on Android, and someone else has actually commented, you know, who seconded it already, is it's messy, inelegant, and not well explained, but damn if I don't love this game anyway.
1: Yeah. No, no it fits. <laughs> I, it fits. It's kind of like us, our love of Fallout, the board game. Like half, another, like 25% of the time, there's going to be a player who gets totally screwed over. As long as you're okay with that, the game could be really cool.
0: Another one. This game feels like a Frankenstein's monster made from three games stitched together. It's big and bloated. I love the idea behind it, but it's a mess. A glorious, glorious mess.
1: Yeah. See, that's, that's my memory. That's my rose tinted glasses. I, maybe if I got it again, I'd be like, why did I get this back? Let's sell it. Yeah. I should be I mean, watching. It's a
0: four. Time. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, oh, yeah. it's a four. It's yep. not 180-minute uh, four yep.
1: think, of, think of a thematic Ameritrash game with a weight of four, basically, right? <laughs> like, what is going on? Yep. All right. All right, now we'll wrap up. I will read my last bit. We're here to answer your Gaming and Game Night questions. If you've got a question for us, head over to the website, click on Ask the Bellhop, or fire off an email to questions at tabletopbellhop.com. Thank you, everyone, for your questions tonight and for joining us here live.
0: Welcome to our review of the King Size Majestic Wolf Puzzle from Unidragon, who we have to thank for sending us a review copy of this puzzle.
1: So this wooden puzzle comes from Unidragon, the same company that created Quezzle, Amazing Cappadocia, that we reviewed last episode. This specific puzzle, our family... Sorry, the specific puzzle our family built was the king size or hard difficulty level, which has 310 pieces and an MSRP of 99.95 US. This puzzle and others like it from
0: Unidragon are available in four different sizes, with King being the third step. We'll talk more about that in a moment.
1: Now, one thing to note in regards to that price, Unidragon often has sales. Like honestly, I'm very close to saying they always have at least some kind of sale going. For example, right now, at the time of this recording, you can get 30% off this specific puzzle, and even more off for the smaller sizes. Plus, if you use our exclusive code, Bellhop, one word, you get another 10% off.
0: As well, their animal collection, from which this puzzle comes, has about 20 different animals to choose from in the
1: various sizes and difficulties. So the Majestic Wolf puzzle features an abstract wolf head with obvious native inspirations. It's very colorful, bright, and interesting just to look at. One of the things that makes this puzzle interesting though and more difficult than most puzzles is that it doesn't feature a frame, so you can't go hunting for edges to start this puzzle off. Another cool aspect of this puzzle is the fact it contains a number of thematically shaped pieces, including various wolves, the animals they hunt, as well as other surprises, which I'll leave you to find
0: on your own. For a look at how this puzzle is packaged and some of the pieces, including some of the uniquely shaped ones, be sure to check out our unboxing video on YouTube.
1: Now, the king size version of this puzzle, which is the one we have, is 310 pieces. Other sizes include simple at 99 pieces, medium at 185, and royal at 700. Now, in addition to the piece count increasing, the physical size of the puzzle also grows at each size. So the smallest starts at 6 by 7 by 9.5 inches, going up to 16 by f- 0.5 by 22.5. Now, the piece quality is fantastic with everything fitting together perfectly. The artwork is nice and bright, and we didn't notice any scratching or damage on any of the pieces.
0: And normally the next thing we would do is talk about how to play whatever game we are talking about, but we can't do that here. Unlike Quezzle, there is no game element to this
1: Unidragon puzzle. You just build it, and you're done. Now that said, I do want to make sure people do realize there's more to this than your average puzzle, which comes in the form of the uniquely shaped pieces this puzzle is made out of. In addition to some really unique shaped pieces, quite different from most mass market puzzles, you can also find wolves, a moose, squirrels, birds, and even a hunting lodge with the trees surrounding it. We talked about
0: this in our previous review for Quizzle, but similarly, this puzzle is not your standard fare when it comes to shapes, even beyond the few special thematic
1: shapes. Now, no game here, but was it fun? So first off, I have to point out, I personally didn't build this puzzle. It was Deanna who actually requested we review this one after having such a good time building Quezzle with Gwen. It was the two of them that built the Majestic Wolf together. I just watched for a bit, asked them what they thought, and took some pictures.
0: Now, puzzles are definitely a taste that not all people share, really a hobby unto themselves.
1: So as for our thoughts on this particular puzzle, let's start with the component quality. Everything about the puzzle was excellent. Nice thick wooden pieces, bright artwork, everything fit together well, some added etching on the back of the tiles to see what the special ones looked for. Our only complaint here is the same one I have with Quizzle, and that's the fact the box doesn't shield shut in any way.
0: And really, I do think this is a difference between gamers and puzzlers. I'm willing to bet if you asked them, they'd be
1: confused why you wanted the stand it up. Yeah, I know most board gamers throw them out, but like this is like a high-quality wooden box with art on it. It seems like it's its own collector piece that you'd want to display, especially showing off that front art, which you can actually see over my shoulder there. As for building the puzzle, it was fun. My family really enjoyed the difficulty of not being able to start with an edge or a corner. Uh, they end up basically starting at the middle of the puzzle and working out with the eyes and the nose being built first. I remember at one point my daughter was pointing out and somewhat complaining, there are so many curves. Now this puzzle took them a couple days to finish, with the whole thing taking over two hours. Now at the end, Deanna noted she wished she had taken more time with it. She felt they kind of rushed it in order to get our game table back for game night, and I think everyone would have enjoyed it more if you just left the puzzle set up and worked on it for a bit of time each day until done instead of kind of rushing to get it done. So heads up for anyone who does consider picking up this puzzle or anything else from Unity Dragon, take your time and enjoy it. Find a spot where you can leave it set up to play with it over multiple days. And that's often the case with puzzles. Much like with coloring books,
0: it's not the end, it's the process that is the real reward. I totally agree.
1: Now, Dee and Gwen both thought the real highlight of this Majestic Wolf puzzle were the hidden pieces. What really stood out especially when compared to Quzzle is that these unique pieces were actually themed to go along with the puzzle itself. While building the puzzle, you're going to discover an entire wolf pack and the animals they hunt, as well as a hunting lodge and the woods around it. To me, this is the big thing that sets these UniDragon parts puzzles apart and above most other jigsaw. So, indeed, especially at
0: this price point, it's really something I would expect at the more high-end hand-cut designer puzzles but while upper end unidragon is still
1: pretty mass market true now one thing i was thinking about with these hidden pieces that to me is a big missed opportunity and i'm probably only thinking this is because we played Quetzal first is i don't see why they don't include quetzal like quests in these puzzles and all their puzzles like just give me a sheet of paper that has me trying to find those hidden pieces like find the hunting lodge. How, find the trees. Can you find all eight of the wolves or whatever? I'm making up numbers here. I don't know how, I don't remember how many wolves are at. As it is, there isn't even a list to check off to make sure you spotted them all. And because of the fact the shapes are blended in with the colors, like the squirrel doesn't look like a squirrel on the colored side. It's really easy to miss one of them unless you happen to see it on the back or it really sticks out as a distinctive piece. And like honestly, like just throw a checklist in. Even having a checklist would be a cool addition. Did you find all the things? I think, honestly, Unidragon, if you're listening, this is something that will improve all of your puzzles.
0: Though I think the completionist aspect of puzzles is really finishing them. The cool pieces are just a bonus along the way, I guess. uh, Especially, Especially since if you wanted to fix it for mounting, you couldn't exactly have the special pieces left out or anything. You just would have seen them along the way.
1: Uh, fair enough. Though I still think you could probably mount it with how tight the wood is. I think you could probably mount it and still make those specific pieces able to pull out and pull not. They're they're spread out enough that you're not like removing a, a main structure of the puzzle by pulling them out. I don't know. Just maybe it's because I'm more of a gamer than I am a, a puzzle builder myself. So maybe that's why I want the game aspect. And to me, it's just like throw it in there in case anyone wanted it. Overall, though, my family really enjoyed building the molestic, majestic wolf puzzle from Unidragon. It was challenging enough to keep them interested, features fantastic artwork, well-cut pieces, and has the added bonus of being frameless and having lots of cool, unique shapes to discover while building the puzzle.
0: The edge thing is a big deal, but also notable is that this puzzle is very Mandala-like in its coloring, Mm -hmm. so you don't even get big patches of color to reference, or uh, as as well as not having those edges and, and shapes.
1: No, I agree. If you're a puzzle fan, you really should take the time to check out Unidragon and their puzzles. While there, be sure to use code BELLHOP, all one word, to save you an additional 10% off. If you aren't a puzzle fan, you probably aren't listening to this review at this point, but if you're still here, there really isn't anything here that improves the basic puzzle formula enough that I think it'll be of interest. Now, if you are puzzle curious, a Unidragon puzzle may be a cool place to start. These wooden puzzles are definitely a big step above the cardboard mass market puzzles I grew up on and have totally won me and my family over with their quality and cleverness.
0: Well, that's it for our review of a king size version of the Majestic Wolf Puzzle from Unidragon. If we've tempted you at all with this review, remember to use the code BELLHOP, all one word, over at unidragon.com to get 10% off your order. I also invite you to check out the written review over at TabletopBellhop.com. And now the Bellhop's Tabletop, where we look back at the games we played since last episode.
1: Alright, not one, not two, but three games came off the Pile of Shame this week, as well as some other gameplay. Starting with the Pile of Shame games, I've got WWE Superstar Showdown. This is an officially licensed WWE board game from Gale Force 9 that was published back in 2015. Now, I actually picked this one up on sale after getting back from Origins with a copy of Worldwide Wrestling and the International Incident Expansion from Nathan D. Paoletta. This is a Powered by the Apocalypse role-playing game all about wrestling inside the ring and out. The players I had at the time liked using minis, and I thought being able to represent, abstractly at least, who's in the ring, who's out of the ring, and where everyone is, would be very useful for the role-playing game. Years ago, I bought this. What I had never actually done is sat down and played the game. I never actually tried the board game that came out that came with this, and I, while talking about this game online, and I think the the main time it came up is when I shared a deal with it at Tabletop Deals on Twitter, Tabletop underscore Deals. That I started getting all kinds of people saying, "Wow, this game's way better than it deserves to be. This is a a great game. You have to check out. There, you have to try this. This is the best role playing game, or sorry, role playing best wrestling board game out there. This is fantastic. You've got to try it." So I finally sat down the other day, uh, it was on a Friday or Saturday night, and Deanna and I played two rounds of it, um, because it was good enough to play twice in a row. The hype is right.
0: That's amazing how many people come out of the woodwork when you mention this game, all raving about it.
1: Yeah, it's true. Like, everyone. And, and they're right. This is a very solid game. Like, to kind of give you an overview, as expected with wrestling, it's basically rock, paper, scissors. Because that's what you have to do when you make a wrestling game. It's all about countering your opponents and doing the right move. I know it's Rock, Paper, Scissors, Bomb or something. I don't know what you call it when you have the thing that beats all of them. It's whatever that is. I'm sure there's a name for it. Um, This is, is, is much more than that, though. It's not just Rock, Paper, Scissors. Every wrestler has their own unique deck of cards. And the distribution of the three main moves and the power move are different, depending on which wrestler you're playing. In addition to that, the individual cards are actually different as well. So it's not just a matter of you played a grapple when you played a maneuver. There's more to it. And the way it works is it's actually a programmed movement, miniature skirmish game, and a really good one at that. Like I honestly wouldn't mind seeing this engine used for something other than wrestling because I think it would work. I think you could do a gladiatorial battle, or even Space Marine fighting off against an Eldar. Or do the enemy mine thing, or Kirk versus the Gorn. I think any of those would work, where you have one person against another, like small group skirmish. So each round, you're going to program three moves from your hand. You then reveal the first move. Here's where the rock, paper, scissor thing happens. I compare my move to your move. Whoever wins gets to do what's on their card. The other person's card goes in their discard. The things on the card are all kinds of different things like moving, building up momentum, setting up later moves, tossing your opponent, and of course hitting them with the move. After all three cards are revealed, you do that. You reveal the one, you do it. Then you reveal the next, you do it. Whoever won, the rock, paper, scissors, gets to do their move. In a tie, you play war, which I thought was a little weird. But you know what? It really added to the unpredictability of wrestling and felt like a fit thematically. Is Literally, if you tie, you just draw a card off the top of your deck and that's what you're doing instead. But it fit that whole, the move you went to do didn't work. What do you do now thing that you see in wrestling? So I even thought that was good. After all three cards are revealed... You then look and see who won out of all of them. So whoever has the most face-up cards then gets a chance to pin their opponent. They have to be next to each other. Otherwise, a pin doesn't work, which makes sense. And you have to be in the ring. Can't do it outside the ring. And yes, there are full rules for going in and out of the ring and jumping off turnbuckles and bouncing off the, the ropes. That's all part of this. So what they have to do is they have three. They have a three count to kick out. If you have a kick out card in your hand, you play it. Otherwise, you draw a card. One, if it's not a kick out, two. If it's not a kick out, three. If it's not a kick out, you're out. In addition to that, damage cards. When you damage your opponent, you give them cards out of your deck or your hand. If you run out of cards, you're KO'd. You win a match by either pinning your opponent or knocking him out. Now, the game also includes various match types, including up to three-man tag teams, six players, which is all the game comes with, the six wrestlers. A gauntlet where you have to fight through lots of people, as well as like your Rumble-style last-man-standing type of match. In addition, you can also play an event, which is three matches of different types And with those, your character basically gets XP, and it's based on the cards that you collected during the match from your opponent. So the quicker you defeat them, the less XP you get. So there's actually a reason to draw out the match. So the more cards you collect, the more you can do it, and then you can use those to get points, or you can actually trade them in for new moves. So there's even like a little mini level up system, almost like a mini campaign, but at most three matches. There's even a deck of stipulation cards that you can randomly select to add special rules to a match. And interesting, like, two of the cards say no stipulation. So you can just shuffle it and go, what's the stipulation in this match? All of it, I, this, this has everything I'd want in a wrestling board game. Like, 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 I can't think of anything that's missing here. Except a stable of wrestlers. Like, I, who cares about these six wrestlers? Like, I don't know what period of the WWE, but I have no idea who Daniel Bryan is. Uh, Roman Reigns, I've heard of. John Cena, of course, was famous enough, I know who he is. Big Show, that goes back in the day, totally cool for that. Randy Orton, which I remember being Cowboy Bob Orton, part of a tag team at one time. I think that's the same Randy Orton, maybe it's his son, because that shows how much I know. Big E, never heard of him. And, well, that's it. Those are the six you get, which just, to me, aren't big name wrestlers. I'm sure they were at the time, but that doesn't impact me at all. And sadly, this game is very, very, very dead. To the fact that Gale Force 9 doesn't even list it as their website, and you can't even find a record that exists by them. Which I have to assume means they lost the license, and they had to pull down all the wrestling stuff. This is a great game. Like, everyone's right. But it's dead. And it could have been so much better. Like, it was already great. And it could have been more if it just had expansions. I want to be able to flip the ring over and play an ECW-style cage match or something. I want a bigger stable to grow from. I want new moves that my characters can learn. I want some kind of weird back room roll on a table and see what happened outside the ring. Like, it could have been so much better.
0: Yeah, everyone I see mentioning it, this says the same thing. Expansions. I think a solid game came out at the wrong time in the history of wrestling and suffered because it's included in large part because of it's included performers, yeah. it's not that they're bad. It's just that they do not have that draw mm-hmm. of some of the prior or newer fighters. Uh, you know, I mean, again, John Sienna and Big Show are the names on that box and the rest of them. I've either never heard of, or I have heard of, but only in a sort of distant manner. And I have followed wrestling off Mm -hmm. and on throughout the years. And it's just, why would I want a game with those wrestlers?
1: No, I totally agree. Like I would love a rock and wrestling, like a, a classic Hogan, Piper, Junkyard Dog, Macho Man. I would absolutely adore that. I would also be really happy with an attitude era with a Triple H, Steve Austin, Undertaker, Kane, that stable. Or modern, I don't know. I would I, I, wrestling. I was a huge fan during the attitude era. I was big into it. I was just as into WCW as WWE or WWF at the time, and ECW when they came in. And I want a luchador expansion. Give me a luchador expansion with some some more moves off the ropes. Like, oh, it could have been so good. And not that it's bad. And I honestly, I'll straight up say I recommend picking this up if you're a wrestling fan. And one of the things that's awesome, fan support. There are decks out there. There are STL files for Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper. And I am, I, I'm tempted. I, I am very tempted. If, if I, if I had more wrestling fans locally that I knew would play this regularly, like D and I had a pretty good time. But it's one of those, if D and I are going to sit down and play a game, or are we going to play this or something else, right? But if I had some, like, like D is a big wrestling fan too, so she is a real wrestling fan. I'm not trying to say it in a bad way, but just if D and I are going to sit down, we're either going to play, like, an, a great two-player game, like a Duke or, or Patchwork, or we're going to go for something heavier like Arnak or whatever. I, I just can't see it humming up that often with us. Now, what I do really want to try with this is multiplayer, because there are rules for playing up to six players, and I, I'd love to see those in play. And Deanna's is noting in the chat, shockingly asymmetric decks. And I, I agree. And it's not, like, for one, it's the distribution of the, I'm, I tried to find a card of these. I should have just grabbed my copy, but at the time it was still in the basement. Um, uh, the, what, it's like slam move and maneuver or something and slam beats them all. But, but, like, every wrestler in the box has a different distribution of them, which I thought was really cool. Like, like well, I, I, John Cena, all about jumping off the corner, which I'm sure is a thing for John Cena. Um, Raymond Reigns is all about power and no momentum. Big Show, all about momentum. Get him moving. Bounce them off the ropes, get him moving, and then have him hit people. Does a, does a ton of damage, right? And it fits the wrestling styles of these characters. Like, it's just so well done. Like, I, I can't say enough good things about this game. But it's no, like, great Euro. It's no next Lost Ruins arnack. But for a wrestling game, it did everything I wanted. There you go. Next up, Dune Imperium, the kind of the exact opposite in a way of WWE. So this is a Dune game based on the Nuvis movie, as well as the books uh, set right at the start of the series. And this is all about fighting over Arrakis. You're going to take on the role of a leader of one of the four great houses of the Landsrad and try to exploit Arrakis. Which
0: is an odd choice because there weren't ever four houses involved in Arrakis. Uh, The game actually uses two houses that are primarily from the books of Brian and not in any way developed or flushed out by Frank Er Er Ebert's writings.
1: So I I couldn't remember. (laughs) Yeah. I I honestly couldn't remember. I'm like, I remember those houses, but I read all the Dune books, like including all the stuff from his son. So I couldn't remember what was in the, the, what was, was canon and not, I know it's all canon, but. Yeah, it's a, it, it's
0: technically all canon. Although personally, I am a Frank Ebert, Ebert fan, uh, and I have just chosen to ignore the other two authors, Brian and I forget who the the, the third Kevin is. Kevin J. Anderson. Yes, um, but
1: uh, yeah, I, I so have read all of those too. So <laughs> I am definitely a fan. And and the the new faction that's being added with the expansion is of course Ix, and that's the one I'm most interested in. I love which is actually stuff.
0: well, which is actually interesting because one of the factions that is there is actually a competitor of Ix. Oh,
1: that's um, interesting. See, see, I think Ix is a faction, not that you play. I think no. it's a new faction, which I haven't gotten to that. I'll get to that in a second, how that works. But I think <laughs> Ix is a new part of the board. Right. Not- a faction, not a house. Yes. Yes. That's exactly. It's a faction, not a house. So anyway. This game is, a, as I'm sure you've heard from a million people already, a combination of worker placement and deck building. The one thing no one seems to talk about is it's also an area majority game. The area majority aspect in this is big, and I don't hear anyone talking about that. Um, one thing I will say, this is done very different from Lost Ruins of Arnak, since everyone seems to want to compare these two games. Uh, this is much more, compared to Arnak, a much more of a traditional deck builder. Where you've got the same starter deck. Each round, you're going to play all your cards, ending with buying more cards for your deck, which go to your discard. And you're going to be drawing cards every round and so- cycling through your deck with the whole, once your discard's empty, you meet. once you have to draw and your discard's empty, you reshuffle. So it's definitely more of the feel of a traditional deck builder where Arnak is, is, is the term deck building is almost questionable in that one. It's almost deck construction in a different way because you don't cycle your deck over and over and over through the game.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Sorry, I was just uh, distracted. uh, But all of this is actually from the people who developed Clank. So you know they understand a little something about deck builders.
1: Well, not only that, it's also the company that did Star Realms. Star Realms Digital. So Star Realms and Ascension. So they they definitely have had their hands in lots of different uh, deck building games. So this has the whole thing where cards have two uses. You can play them during your turn to take actions on the board and sometimes get a benefit for playing them at the same time. This is the worker placement aspect. Or you can save them for what's called the reveal phase. So basically, you're going to take a number of actions, uh, usually up to three, maybe four if you've got a Mentat. And then at the end, you're just going to reveal all your cards. And then you get the different part of the card that's going to give you various things. It's going to give you influence to buy new cards, as well as giving you combat strength for the battle, the area control thing that's going on, as well as some cards give you like victory points and money and other things. The main thing you tend to get, though, is influence to buy new cards or combat strength. Now, some interesting bits here, because I'm not doing a full review, is that many of the worker placement spots are tied to the factions. Now we're talking about the Emperor, the Fremen, the Bene Gesserit, and I forget what the last one is on the board. It's space and Guild, is, are the main factions. And then at the top, you have the Lancerat and Chome. And you're going to those different spots. Well, when you go to the main four factions, every time you use one of the worker spacemen spots, you get influence with these, which is a big part of the game. Cause those are tracks you're going up. You and got four even, basin tracks.
0: And that's even canonically quite yes. important because the factions are the true strength behind the empire. Yes. Uh, as important
1: as the Lancerat itself. Yeah, you're you are doing a lot of political plays, and of course, one of them is Fremen. So you are definitely dealing with the people on Arrakis, but this is where you tie in the rest of the world. Now, the game is actually a race, which was surprising to me. I wasn't expecting that at all. It's actually a race to ten points, with a lot of these points coming from influence from those factions. I honestly doubt you could win a game without working like working the factions in some aspect. Uh, you can also gain victory points by winning battles on Arrakis, uh, collecting high cost victory point cards. There's a, there's a land worm card that is very similar to the provinces and dominion. It clogs your deck. It does nothing when you buy it. it. It costs nine influence. It's really hard to get nine influence. You get a point when you get it. And then it generates one spice. If it happens to come up in your deck and can't be used to play anywhere on the board. So it's, it's not a good card. Like I said, very similar to provinces and dominion. Um, We've only played once. There's obviously more going on. Seemed really solid. The problem was we played two players, which uses an Atoma system, uh, which is a deck of cards representing another house, which I should have gave you the name of that house because you could have looked up to see what the heck they were. It begins with an H or something. I want to call a house Hester, but I know that's not it. Something like that. And it represents a third player. And you're going to flip a card over, it's going to do a thing, they're going to take up a spot on the board, they're going to gain influence if they happen to be on one of the spots, and they're going to clog up their worker placement spots, they're going to put troops into the battle, but they don't collect anything, they just get in the way.
0: Yeah, no, and that makes sense, because you need, with the worker placement aspect, you need something more than just two people to to actually make that work.
1: Yeah, it, it makes sense. Uh, the other pro- thing that I've seen games do is you remove spots, right? So the alternative would be to have a two-player side of the board with less spots on it. I don't know what I prefer. I think I might have preferred that because I didn't really enjoy it. Uh, the The spots the AI took were just purely random, and they made no sense. Like, like they're not taking part in the battle, but they're collecting troops, or they're going up here to collect a ton of water, but they're not using any spots in need. Like, it just it was just random. Like and, and literally, I think the deck is, you know, three copies of every location and a shuffle the deck card type of thing. Um, They often took spots there's no possible way they could afford early in the game, which made them very difficult to get some very important spots. I don't know. I just I personally did not enjoy it. Um, It was fiddly. Um, The cards themselves are just icons. So we found it kind of not clear on what to do all the time. Now, they did put out an app, Direwolf Digital. They make a lot of apps for uh, deck building games. I put on this app and the app is fantastic for telling you what to do. They literally give you a checklist for you to check off going, place a worker here, take two of these things, do this thing, and then, you know, move them up this track, whatever, you're done. The problem was the app kept crashing. Well, not crashing, but if your phone timed out, it booted you out. And I had to then reopen the app and I had to restart the game and I had to select two players and then I had to hit continue. And like that happened every 15 minutes or so if we didn't constantly tap my phone. And then other times it just crashed, like like I'm hitting draw and nothing's happening. So then I had to close the app and reopen it. Now, I will say it was impressive that it always remembered where we were. So that was well done. But I almost like now that I played it enough, I might just switch to the deck of cards, though. It did help me figuring out what those icons meant for the first play. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just wasn't a fan of the two player. Like, yeah, it's really hard to
0: get Atama se- systems to work well. Um, you know, as soon as you need to start moving bits and flipping cards, which again, because you're, you're not taking away spaces, you need to have that, uh, you know, using that space on the board. Um, it's, it's hard not to, uh, it's, it's hard not to be fiddly.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, and I- also
0: the, uh, Hagal is the name of the, the deck the and, uh, they're known out. as the jewel planet. It's not even really a, a, a house. It's a it's one of the planets. That's actually where Sue Stones come okay. from. Okay.
1: Well they definitely play like a faction somehow. I don't know. So that, that seems non-canonical. Maybe in movie number two we'll have House of Gauls show up and do something. Well interestingly, so the the
0: Ix expansion really kind of moves things forward in time. Like way forward in oh, time. Okay. Uh, into. You got the greening of Iraq is going on? No, no, well, not, not quite not that, that far. far. Okay. Not that far. Uh, but, uh, and it actually adds three new households as That's well two. as the X. Um,
1: as a, yeah. So the X yeah. is a new faction that you're getting. So
0: the X is for. a new faction. Yeah, and apparently, sure apparently what it is, is, uh, from them, you're buying technology, obviously. Makes sense. Makes sense. So you're getting, you're getting technological upgrades to your, to your household.
1: No, I, I, it, it, was, it was interesting enough that I'm looking forward to playing it with more people. I don't think I'll ever try it again, two players. Like, like maybe if we go a month before playing it because of the pandemic, we're not able to get together and we might try it, two player to refresh my memory. But I I just, I, it's one of those, shouldn't have two player in the box. Though I know other people who enjoyed it at two. Well, so. and you can play it at solo even. So, uh, solo looks completely different. It does use that, hug, I, again, I forget the name, Haggle, Haggle. Haggle, Haggle. It does use that deck as well, but there's something else going on. Yeah, there is solo play, which I it, I think that's more because the game came out during the pandemic and companies have started throwing solo play into everything. Um, I haven't seen, I haven't tried it solo. Maybe I will. Maybe I so, will.
0: So right now, three player is leading uh, best. It's, it's best at three, four with three player leading the uh, three. Okay. Leading the uh, vote. Uh, but it's, it's still pretty, I don't know it's, it's. Three is pretty well far, firmly in the lead there. Okay, uh, one and one and uh, two is there, but I don't know. Well,
1: is one beating two? Uh,
0: one is. Uh, no, one isn't. No, no. Okay. Four so, is B- so Four if, if is Board game
1: geek thinks one's not as good as two, and I didn't enjoy two. I don't think I'm going to rush to play this. This well, is the, not pile of obligation. The vote
0: count is still questionable. Yeah. So,
1: no, nope, this is not pile of obligation. This is a game I own, and I feel no need to play it at one player. So, unless someone, uh one of our patrons, asked me to review it at one player, then maybe I'll do that. Right. All right, moving on final game I got off the pile of shame is Scorpius Freighter. This is from Alderic Entertainment Group, one of their sci-fi games. Now, there was a lot of buzz about this game quite a while ago, because this is not a new one. Um, When it came out, everyone was like, it's Han Solo, the board game! And I can see it a bit, but only if all Solo ever did was pick up and deliver stuff and upgrade his ship. And it's a crew of four, not two. Like, there's probably Wookiees, but like there's no fighting Imperials here, and uh, like, yes, there's the theme that's all about you're trying to smuggle stuff, and there's patrol ships that go around the board, but really they're just the rondelle you move around. And technically, if you go around the rondelle all the way, they confiscate a piece of your cube, but really that's just the timing me- mechanism. There's nothing that really made me feel like we were playing smugglers. That said, it is a cool game. Uh, it, it's a near-gateway, rather quick pick-up-and-deliver game that features three rondels. Each turn, you're going to dedicate some of your four-member crew to flying the ship, you then pick one of the rondels and you're gonna move move the again, the Imperials or whatever, that many spaces on the action wheel and then take the, the action of the space you land on. The number of crew you didn't assign is who's left to do the task, which I actually thought was a, a really brilliant mechanic. If you have more crew left, you're gonna get more benefit from the spot you stop on. So if you're only moving one, you will have you might have three crew, but you also then have to use the same crew next turn. So if you dedicate two one turn, the next turn you're going to have one to dedicate. There's a neat thing with your four crew there that I thought was pretty cool. So it's a, a pick-up-and-deliver with rondels. Yep, pretty much. Now, the actions include adding new modules to your ship, upgrading your crew. You flip them over to give special abilities, picking up cargo, getting and completing contracts, completing side jobs, and while using those modules you've added to your ship. Uh, victory points mainly come from completing contracts and side jobs, as well as end game scoring based on members of your crew. Now we only played once we use standard crew. And I have been told by many people, uh, interestingly, including the designer themselves that the only real way to play this game is to draft your crew, which I think makes sense. Cause the one thing we did notice is that your initial crew selection based on the set crews that come in the game, like you just pick all, I pick the yellow crew or you pick the red crew. um very, They were very scripted. They basically told you exactly what you should be doing. You want to only do these kind of contracts and you only want to carry this type of cargo. And that was really my main complaint with the game, especially because I played a faction where the cargo hold to hold the cargo I would get the most points for didn't come up until halfway through the game. So that felt a little odd, but again, even if the designer is like, you know, you you can tell the designer was like, I didn't want to put this other mode. I wanted drafting to be the default. And some developer said, we better put an easy mode in. It sounds like you really do need to play this with drafting. So I am really looking forward to trying this again with drafting because I'm thinking it was going to fix my main problem with the
0: game. That sounds solid. Uh, It's always a shame when, you know, the set crews, uh, which obviously people are going to play as their first time that's going to be at the default to the game is less than ideal uh you know when you've got this one and done world we live in right now for board gaming lead with the best yeah. method don't don't put a subpar method even if it's a little easier that's not the way you want to introduce people to the game
1: yeah you might like put it in there as the default and then at the back say if you want an easier game do this or maybe uh, the problem is it's fighting the whole you want the game to be easy enough to learn players don't give up on it before they start so it's it's fighting that versus the one and done feel so i don't know i i i'm on the fence with that because i think someone new to board gaming reading this probably shouldn't draft crew because the other problem is the first time you play the game you don't know what the crew mean right. until you played so it's really hard to draft crew and you're like i don't know what any of this means but i almost think like like randomly assigning crew might be better. <laughs> Though that might lead to unbalanced. I don't know. I, I'm on the fence, but I got to say, I, I maybe do the thing where you play the first round with the crew, but you don't finish the game. Like, play it. I, I'm, no one's going to know this unless they own the game, but play it to two cubes instead of more. Like, play it to two cubes, kind of get it, and then draft. Overall, though, I dig it. Um, I like Rondell's. Um This, to me, felt bigger than it was. Like, it felt like a bigger pickup and deliver game in a very short time frame. Um, I liked how quick it was as well as how much it felt like we accomplished. Like it felt like I had very full cargo crew and I completed a lot of things in a short amount of time. I will say it was way simpler and easier to learn than I expected. Like it's really not a complicated game. Um, And I will say when I first started playing, I was a little disappointed. Like I wanted a heavier, meatier, customized my ship board game, whereas it was more like I don't know. It, it, it it's it's a little lighter than that, but you know what? Knowing that, I can enjoy it for what it is. This may even be a good gateway rondelle or pickup delivered. Looking forward to more Scorpius freighter in the future.
0: So this is a this is a two point four two weight on board game geek with a it with a solid that heavy with a solid seven uh, uh, review. Although I have to say the numbers are a little low. Um, it's, uh, you know, I see people talking about it, you know, oh, they played it on the Dice Tower Cruise. So, you know, there's uh, some people out there who've definitely had the, the good experience with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are finding it a bit dull. You know, it's a good game, but it's just not that interesting. Yeah.
1: That's, that's where the, it, it felt like it could use a bit more.
0: Yeah. Now, interestingly, I see people who are saying, you know, I have upgraded my rating after more plays. See, that's Which where is I think- good, but, so unlikely in this yes. day
1: and age. It's true. So. All right. Now, in addition to clearing some games up the piles of shame, which I gotta say one particular pile just looking much lower. It's nice. Um, I did get some other game plays to the table, including a two player game, a lost ruins of Arnak. Um, now we've also been playing this pretty regularly on board game arena, even just starting up our first four player game earlier this week. So thanks for joining Jeff. Um, I'm sad to say I'm not loving this at two players, at least so far. Now we've only done it twice so maybe they are both outliers but it just seems to me like once player once a player gets ahead, it's almost impossible for the other player to catch up now more than two players though I am loving Arnak just two player I don't know
0: now have you played with the snake temple side of the board yet no not apparently, at all apparently it uh, is an up a uh, more difficult right. version of the game and can act to reduce potential runaway problems okay. So I saw, I saw some people now, I didn't see people mentioning that actually three and four is where the runaway problems are more likely, really? uh, okay. but the, but the snake temple is again, the, the mitigation to that is you up that difficulty on the snake temple side
1: and it re it reels in some of the uh, potential to okay. run away. So I don't think I played enough three and four player games at this point. Like what have we finished? One, three player, yeah. two? I, three player I, games? Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't I, noticed it in two and three player games, but yeah. Or sorry, well, three mean, or four. I'm, well, we just started our first four player.
0: Yeah, I, I'm still I'm still struggling. Again, not having played this game physically, I think, is another major drawback. Right. Um I'm 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 still learning things every time and figuring things out. Uh and again, it's also there's there's just definitely that the, the board game distraction, the lack of real time play. Hmm. I I have to say I'm starting to burn out on BGA a little bit, um, you know, especially because we've done a whole bunch of these, you know, more difficult games on board game arena. Uh, and, and a lot of them I've never played physically and I, I don't have the familiarity with, and it's, it's, it's getting, it's tough to keep track of them.
1: Yeah. Like you mentioned Feast for Odin launched. And I'm like, oh, I don't even know if I want to dive into that one. <laughs> I'm like, we have enough other stuff. going Oh, yeah. On. No, absolutely. Yeah. D loves the fact we're now doing crunchier games. <laughs> so, yeah, we might have to try the Snake Temple. Maybe that's the next we try a two player, though. I We might just hold off till we have three. Uh, next up was the game. We played the game that is from Pandasaurus Games, the cooperative game called The Game, which still bugs me. Uh, we ended up playing three rounds of this one. Now, I have been a fan of the game for quite a long time. I'm pleased to say that I finally sold Deanna on the game. Um, This is the one where you have a deck of cards, number 2 to 99, and you try to play every card in the deck with having less than 10 cards left being considered a win. Now, the trick here is that there are four piles you play on, two counting up and two counting down, and every turn you have to play two cards from your hand no matter what. Now, to help with this, there's a rule where you can stack cards that are exactly 10 apart going the wrong way on a stack. This game is way harder than it sounds, but really enjoyable. So far, everyone in my family agrees that this is better to the mind, which has a very similar theme. You're also trying to play numbers one to a hundred in order in a different way, because this game has communication is encouraged. You need to talk to each other. You need to socialize. You need to have conversations about what to do. And this is just a much more social game. Even if you can't talk about exact card values, it just has that better. We're having a party. We're enjoying things together. Feel than staring at each other, waiting for someone to play a numbered card.
0: Yeah, no, that's uh, it. Definitely sounds like communication is is so much more of a, a enjoyable part of yeah. of games. You know, I mean, yes, there are times where those silent games can kind of work, but as a family game, that's not it. Yeah.
1: Have you played that one, the game yet? Not yet, no. Okay, I couldn't remember. I've, I've owned it long enough that, that you very well might have played it. All right, last physical game on my list is Aqualin, And I think based on the time, we're going to skip the digital plays. So I'm going to stick with Aqualin as my last game for this week. Uh, this is a game I'm still terrible at. I do still enjoy it. Um, I personally don't think it's ever going to compete with, say, the Duke, Onitama, Patchwork, or War Chest or Hive for my top two player games. But I do dig this one. Uh, Deanna likes it more than I do. Um, and so does Gwen actually D and Gwen even played a game together this last week. And while seeing as D keeps beating me and Gwen keeps beating D, I don't think I'd have a chance against Gwen. So maybe that'll happen at some point. Fair enough.
0: Uh, all I've played, uh, I did get one game of Hogwarts in with the kids since last yep. we recorded. Uh, we got into an unwinnable situation oh. and ended up just putting the game down and walking away from it because, and it was, it was our fault for doing it. But the fact that we could get to that situation was a little frustrating. So,
1: yeah, there was still, like a, an event card that you wished you knew about ahead of time. So, well, like and we
0: did know about it, but we'd forgotten about it because we okay. were having such struggles with the the first card um, that we just got to a point where you needed to beat three villains, and we didn't have three villains left on the table.
1: See, I wonder, so that almost feels like there should be like an FAQ. Like if that comes up, that card's just instant one. Like you've done it. Well, there no, I, it's
0: you've instantly lost. That's the the point. Yeah. I think is the is the you know again. This is monster box of monsters. We're back into now, <laughs> yeah. and we still. I, I apparently ridiculous game of. of- I have heard yeah. that the next box is easier, so All we right. need to get th- by this hump. And and you know, we we've been close, uh, and the kids. And again, you know, we we're losing, but the kids still. Keep, I my daughter keeps coming over. Can we play? Nice. Can we play that game again? So
1: oh, that's that's the important part. Well, how about a look ahead what do you have planned for the coming weeks well the uh, excuse me well these eyes are uh, currently still in flux so we haven't really been playing anything lately um I've been playing horizon zero dawn on my PlayStation a lot um we've been taking turns on board game arena but that's about it so I'm really hoping that things stabilize uh for this weekend so these eyes are getting better every day so hopefully we can get in some gameplays this week um the main thing I would like to play most um just for Uh, what do you call a pile of obligation for obligation's sake is Chronicles of Avel. So, cause I would kind of like to review that one next week. Um, it'll depend on if both kids are here for the, the weekend, which I don't know if they are or not. They may be going over to visit. Um, their grandmother, they may not be. I don't know if one of them goes, we'll try a three player again. But I do need to play that four player, um, not just because it's obligation, but I actually really enjoyed it, um, especially following up after Disney Sidekicks uh, the disaster. I will say with that game, it's nice to play family weight co op that's really enjoyable for the whole family. Um, other than that, I honestly we don't have much left. Um, I need to start playing Charterstone, but until I can get people together to start playing Charterstone. We can't start on that because it's a campaign game that needs the same players. Uh, Tori and Kat are not free this weekend, so we're not going to be diving into that yet. And honestly, i like, I'd have to look at the pile of obligation. There's not a lot left. Um, I'm supposed to be getting some stuff. Um, DHL. I now owe shipping on a package and customs. So thank you for that. I hate, don't use DHL. Don't DHL ever. is the absolute worst. So I have something coming from DHL as soon as I pay for it, which I haven't yet. I need to do that tomorrow. Um, that's, that's on its way. Uh, we have signed up to review some other stuff. I've entered a lottery to review Stonemaier's newest game, which they're supposed to contact me if they're going to ship it. So I haven't heard anything yet. So maybe I didn't win that lot. Um, I honestly, like, I don't even remember what's on. We'll save that for the after show. I'll look it up and see what we have left. Um, we're going to keep putting out unboxing videos. Uh, there will be a review going live on YouTube this week, uh, for Quezil. And I will try to get up the Unidragon um, Wolf Puzzle review on the blog if we're doing a blog version. I don't even know. We said see the blog. We'll, we'll write up a picture of that. Um, as for gaming, I don't know. Hopefully these eyes get better and we can get back to like Planet Aventuria again when she can read cards. But it's going to be a while. We play what we can.
0: Now a quick shout out and a thank you to some of our VIP guests, our Patreon backers. We greatly appreciate their support.
1: First off, big welcome to Valentine Pache, the latest tabletop bellhop Patreon patron. Thank you, Valentine. Matt Lichtenwalder. Thanks, Matt. Roger Malosh. Thanks, Roger. Uh, Zopi, Thank you. Brian Sheehan. Thanks, Brian. Well, that was the double bell. That means my shift's coming to an end and it's time to lock those front doors.
0: Though the doors to the lobby are closed, you can always find us all over the web and social media as Tabletop Bellhop One Word. You can visit our website at TabletopBellhop.com, find our podcast on your podcatcher of choice, and sign up for our newsletter at Newsletter.TabletopBellhop.com for weekly updates. As always, links down
1: below. If you like the content we're providing and would like to support our continued efforts as well as earning some cool bonus content, please consider tipping your bellhops at patreon.com slash tabletop
0: Well, that wraps up the time we have for this show tonight. For the lobbyists, thanks for joining us and be sure to stick around and join us in the penthouse suite for the after show and stop by on YouTube Sundays for brunch. For Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I'm Sean. And I'm Mo. Thank you. And game Game on. on. Find full reviews, show notes and more at tabletopbelhop.com. Graphic design by Brian Weiss at RPG & Co. Music is Nimbus by Eveningland. The podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution license.